They know that what we just went through was some bullshit and the things we were told didn't work. Um, and, and that means that, that those core claims to power um, for, and, and reason for governments failed. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with friend of the show, Gordon White, a little bit later. Down in, He's down in Mexico, not in Australia. He's escaped. So we have a fantastic chat with him about his new book, Animistic, which uh, Grandma Lama Ding Dong just loves over there. He's just been raving about it, so it's exciting. Well, uh, yeah, it was it was really good. I'm waiting for the audio book. Yeah. Are you done yet? Yeah. You read I'm the whole what? book? Done what? Animistic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did it before our interview with him. I finished it before the interview. The whole thing? Yep. How much did you retain? Quite a bit of it, because it was pretty, you know, it wasn't one I skipped through, you know, it was pretty fascinating. Oh. Uh, yeah, I hear, I've heard, I mean, the internet is up in arms. Everyone on Twitter is talking about how great it is. It seems to be a good one. We will have to actually read it instead of waiting for the audiobook. The audiobook seems like it could be a couple months at best. I mean, he even said he just might not go back, and he's on a six-month visa already. <laughs> <laughs> when <laughs> yeah is that what it is in Mexico you get time. a six month or shout out to Ryan I guess Ryan can stay longer because uh, he's married to a Mexican. Mexican yeah there you have it yeah speaking, speaking of Mexico of crossing, how's teeth? speaking of border crossing and all that I had my my uh, my I went down to Soap Lake for a couple of days there last weekend and I I drove uh I drove uh, through the States, uh, drove through the border and the border guard was super cool. He didn't ask me for anything. I mean, we talked about audiobooks actually, and he didn't say anything about COVID. There was no questions about that or nothing. So I just breezed on down to the States, came back up and uh, didn't do the app or a test. And they got to pretty sort of frustrated with me. Uh, so this guy down on the way down, no mask, nothing. He's just laughing and then come back up. It's a completely different story in Canada. They're all masked up. And of course this is in British Columbia. I don't want to say what border it was, but it was in British Columbia and, and they're all, you crossed into Idaho. You could, hardly, you could hardly hear. Yeah. But you can hardly hear the, them talking. And then, so anyways, I had to pull in and go in and, and see what they wanted to do with me. The, the official, the health official has to call you and, the lady at the border was having a big chat with me about, um, you know, having to fill out the app. Otherwise, you know, like we have to do it. It's not going away. This is the Arrive Can app. And she's like, look, we have all your information in the passport anyway. So there's no like she was really trying to just play down the app. And, and I was I almost did. I almost downloaded it. But I was having troubles with my phone connecting. And I just thought, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, I, you know, I don't want to go through this right now. It's not. And then the guy on the phone was like, well, the, you just, you're unjabbed or jabbed. You're not following the rules. You need to test and do your app. And there's nothing about, this isn't about you not, you know, providing paperwork to be jabbed or not. This is because you're not filling the app and getting tested. And I, and I wish, you know, it always the case with me. I wish I would have 
had a little bit of a better story ready or not story, but I wish I would have been a little bit more prepared because afterwards I'm thinking the main thing here is that if I was to provide them with jab paperwork, then I wouldn't have to quarantine. But because I can't provide them because I didn't want to provide them with that, I, I have to quarantine. So that's the big, the big thing that really should have, you know, that he was sort of leaving out of his little thing. Right. Cause I was kind of arguing with them back and forth. I'm like, well, What's the difference? You know, these guys are spread. You know, everybody's spreading it, or there's no. It's not stopping the spread at all. So why do I? You know, why do we have to quarantine and others don't? If I don't want to quarantining. So what? Have you been quarantining? Never mind. Been working hard from home. So yes, my phone's been You're quarantining. totally quarantining. You're <laughs> my, phone, my phone is my one of the 33 million phones that are being have tracked is being them? quarantined right now. Have you heard from them? No. Nope. Just put your SIM card in your no agenda phone. <laughs> Where you go? I don't need it. I don't need it. I got the no agenda phone kind of running in parallel. So, but anyways, you've been quarantined. I don't want to get into that. You've I just totally been quarantined. It's just a huge difference between the two, totally right? I mean, it really is. Like I'm coming back into my own country and I'm being grilled. So they threatened me with a $5,700 fine. And I said, heard from just, then just, if this is what it takes, then just find me then. I mean, whatever. And then she's like, oh, I have to fill out my report now. So you're going to get a fine. She didn't quite say it in the nasty voice. Cause she's saying, look, my kids are like on a personal level, Mike. Oh, I don't, I shouldn't even say this. Cause she, she probably confided in me to whatever. You're not saying her name. But I mean, Fuck it. It, could even be, it could even be like, the, it could even be don't a strategy. For people like me, nah, that they want to be strategy. connect on a personal level. So look, my kids aren't vaccinated. Dude, she's not a you know, I understand your. I understand your. They're very, you know, acting like they're very supportive and understanding. She makes of, like of eighteen dollars an hour. She's not your. She's just like opening up to you, and you're just announcing it to the world. She just opened up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Stop fucking busting my balls. I mean, you you dragged it out of me. Anyways. You've been quarantining, haven't you? Anyways, I and, and 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 she's just like, look, I want them to because then they can do stuff. I'm like, what? This is like it's it's it started to feel like a script. Like you're worried about your kids being left out of stuff and not there because they didn't decide to partake in your experiments. I mean, this is craziness. I I I just feel like we're in a novel or a, a movie. Sometimes it's really quite crazy. I tried to get you. Anyways, so it was weird coming back. So I'm going to have to decide how to handle it next time. I mean, I could have tested, I could have done the app and I could have just breezed through, well, kind of breezed through with a quarantine plan, I guess, you know, like I had, I would have had to put that all in the app. You just got to get fake papers, bro. We can't just keep no, doing No, no, I don't want to, I don't want to. You're just going to do it this per perpetuity? This is just your talk. border we crossing experience. We can't experience discuss then? stuff like this on the I discuss on the whatever air. the fuck I want. I got fake papers and I'm going to fly. No, 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 no. Shush, shush. shush fuck, dude. Don't shush me. They can get in trouble. Don't shush me. No, 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 dude. We don't want to play that game. Hey, prove they can it. get us in trouble. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Uh, anyways. I got um, a sponge, bro. We could get you <laughs> taken. <laughs> he texts me today. He must need cash. I'm telling you. <laughs> You could just say, the last time I went over, I've seen the light. <laughs> I I get it. You know, I just, I decided to just go get the shots. Isn't there a one-shotter now? I mean, we maybe have you cleared up by the time we go Vegas. Is there a one-shotter? No, there's not, is there? 
Yeah, there is. I mean, a friend of ours got one shot because he didn't want to. He took the one. He can't, that, that one's like canceled now. That one's what? out. Yeah. They like, he just got in under the wire yeah. before Christmas. Yeah, really? And they said they're not even making it anymore. What? Yeah. But I, I think I the Novavax why. is out now. Maybe another one too. So I think the beauty with that one is that uh, you could get them in there right away. Two weeks. Bang, bang. Let's be honest. This guy. That's the moth. Him. That's the moth one that Gordon was talking about. Yeah. The moth facts. Yeah. And you don't have to, I'd wait eight weeks in between. No, it's crazy. Anyways, it's crazy. It's a crazy world, but it's I mean, dude world. in Germany got 86 shots. He's fine. <laughs> right. I mean, I feel less weird about it. Have you seen him? Have you looked at him? Doesn't look fine. Really? Arms all swollen. Really? Is it? <laughs> huh. I don't know. I, I thought I saw a pick of him. I'm not going to say it's, it's him or not, but. Huh. Could have been a meme. Anyways, let's get off this 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 subject. I've got some you emails it from up. some listeners. Yeah, I tried, I know, you should have come up quad. Too far. I what? had to rebuild the fucking carb on the quad, but now it's working good. Nice. That's great out there. Just drive for fucking miles and miles and miles into the bush. Get high. I ran into the conservation officers both times. Got a warning. Wow. What? I actually had to apologize. Say I seen the same guys today. I was like, oh, you guys again. I'm like, hey. I was like, really? You want to see my papers again, dude? And he's like, nah, it's fine. I was like, all right. Hey, sorry. I was being a dick the other day. Oh yeah, they got out. They got out all huffy while Madison was driving around in the quad. Came over, like, "Hey, we're conservation officers." And I was like, "No shit." It says "fucking conservation officer" on your chest, but okay. <laughs> and he you was said like, that too. "Yeah," and he's like, "You got a problem with conservation officers?" And I was like, "No, I just I'm sick of fighting with you guys about shit all the time." All the time, whether it's me fishing or me fucking hunting or some shit I'm doing by my rights, and you guys are busting my balls. About. And you should have uh, said, "You should have said, look, we're 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 not separate from the environment. This is all one. The whole cosmos is living." Have you even read Gordon White's book yet? I was just like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> so I gave him my ID and then and loaded up the they, quad. And I was just—they said I couldn't quad where I was quad. I was in some sand pit. They didn't like it there. But uh, there was no one there. It was perfect for the kids to kind of quad around, you know. So I just sort of sat there and stared him down for a while while he was writing my ticket. It was funny because he was staring me down too. We we're kind of like having a stare down off. But <laughs> I won. He finally, he finally looked away. It was getting weird. Anyway, uh, so they gave me a warning. And then I bumped into him again today. They flagged it down right away. He's like, uh, I see your registration shit. I was like, are you fucking kidding me, man? Again? Again? You want to see my papers again? He's like, oh, I know you. And I was like, he's like, I don't recognize you. I don't recognize the bike. And I was like, oh, you're going to recognize me when I get my helmet off. <laughs> so I took my helmet off and he was like, oh, yeah, I don't need to see your papers. I got like six warnings from the conservation officers now. But you, uh, you, you apologized to him? I apologized him? today for being a dick the other day. And what was it for this time? Today I didn't get a warning. I got a no, warning no. on Friday. But what what did he even pull you over for? Or he or just what wanted that? to see my registration. It's like, Ugh. run the plate, loser. That's why there's a license plate. How about you do the fucking work? 
I drive by. So they just you look at my license plate. They just... You run my plate, and then if there's a problem, you can wait by my truck or some shit. How about you do some more fucking work instead of I got to get off, shut off my machine, pull out my fucking registration and shit. But what's the? Do they, are they allowed to just do that to anybody that's traveling around the woods? Like I that, guess or? they're allowed to do that. But when when you pull Darren over, you're gonna get a fucking earful. Miles is like, holy fuck, bro. I'm like, dude, I've had enough with all these motherfuckers. I don't care if it's a fucking cop or a, a CEO or a border fucking agent. I've fucking had it. The government has lost all authority with me. Did I tell you at the time I was trying to pass the cop on the way to Strathmore? Um, I think you, I tried to I pass him. He wouldn't get out it. of the fast lane, so I went to pass him on the inside. And he like puts his cherries on and like speeds up ahead of me. I was like, fuck you, man. You can pull me over then. I was, like, I was in a bad mood that morning, too. We, had, we were having like some silly lockdown rules. I was just going to give him a fucking earful. And uh, so I pull up. I try to pass him on the inside, inside lane because he won't get out of the fast lane. This dork's just driving down the fast lane, doing like 120 maybe in a 110. Wow, that's, that's, and still, I'm doing that's, pretty, that's pretty fast. No, it's right lane except to fucking pass. The signage is very clear. Keep right except to pass. Slower traffic, keep right. It's not, if you're going the speed limit, stay in whatever fucking lane you want. It's keep right, except to pass. So I'm doing like 127. That's my speed. I ain't slowing down. If that's not okay, you can give me a ticket. So I tried to pass him on the inside. Cherries, come on. I thought he was going to pull me over. He speeds off up ahead of me to where there's another car in the fucking slow lane. And he stops beside him and just they drives the same speed. Oh, as he him. boxes in. <laughs> so I'm like stuck behind these fucking dorks all the way to fucking. I'm like fucking driving behind this fucking cop, like maybe fucking three car lengths off him. And I'm just like, you motherfucker, all the way to Strathmore. But I mean, to me, it's a cuck move. Just pull me over. Give me the ticket. Let me pass you. Pull me over. What are you doing? Playing games? Trolling me? That's what he was doing, was trolling me. That is a pretty good troll, though. <laughs> a like, cop boxing in, that's sucker. pretty funny. He's like, I'm not giving you a ticket. I'm not like, going to waste my time with you, buddy. I'm it just was cold out, too. I was just riding out. on his ass. I was like, fuck you, shaking my head. <laughs> he must have been laughing. You were you were riding the cops' oh, yeah. ass? Yeah, I was like, oh, fuck that, you, man. <laughs> I mean, imagine in America, trying to do that in America. I mean, I holy play. shit, I dude. probably wouldn't do that, honestly. could have beat, been beat up by the cop. You know how I roll. Cops are pretty good here in general. Fuck them. They're not bad, but they still need to nearful. They need to be kept in check all the time. All these people need to be kept in check, Dunlop. You've been doing a good job keeping the Well, this is why, check. I mean, people are like, oh, you know, all the, you know, Did all they the call you yet? Love, all the people that love the lockdowns and stuff and love this tyranny are like, well, what are you protesting for? They've released the restrictions. And it's like, look, at, I can't even get back into the, into our country here, you know? Did they call it's you? Still, it's still there. I don't know. I've missed a couple calls, but no, I don't think they have tried. No? Which is weird. I thought they if were If you gonna... get a ticket, it's just going to show up in the mail, probably. You'll just go No, there. they have to. I think they have to, like, serve you. I think it, it goes through find this another department, like, finds and So they can't just something. mail it to you? They got to trick someone into, like, what's your name? Ground Donald? You've been served. Yeah. They can't just send you in the mail, like, a parking ticket? No, I, ticket. I don't think so. I, Come I to think, think so. of it, I've... So I, but I get speeding tickets in the mail. I know that's different though. This is some All this is time. some other weird thing. This fine. I'm not okay with that either. That's bullshit. 
There's nothing worse than getting a speeding ticket in the mail. Yeah. I got two speeding tickets in the mail from 16 minutes apart. Yeah, I know. The same drive home. I need a radar detector. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. Anyways, I got a couple awesome emails here. Um, one of them, actually, I'll just tell you about because do you want to play a jingle quickly? Or? What kind of jingle would I play? Just the awesome email. This is spam gram, I guess, or something. It's short, though. How about this one? The blah blah blah. The blah blah blah. And blah blah blah. The blah blah blah. The blah blah blah. The blah blah blah. Okay, okay, no, no jingle. No jingle for you. Blah blah blah. Okay, who's who did that? The jingle's already playing. Come on, just shut it off. Come on, that's just not that's just not fine. I think it just speeds up. That was probably from like eight years ago. Anyways, um, I love it getting emails about stuff we talked about on the show and feedback and synchronicities and sightings and trip reports and. Paranormal experiences, spiritual awakenings, all kinds of stuff. Just email at grandmagramerica.com. Uh, we also have a chat too. Um, we can you can jump in that. Is it still grandmerica.ca slash chats, Darren? You know? Grandmerica.ca slash chats. Yeah. And then um so Darren was talking about his cholesterol and his blood thing. And uh we got an was I got I, an email from uh, was I talking about that on the show? Yeah, Mama Bear. I got a Email from Mama Bear, and she said, this podcast will inform you about cholesterol, the truth, science, and management. Start from Ep1, and it's the Fat Emperor podcast. And I love this guy. He's an Irish dude. He's an engineer from Ireland, and uh, he's gone right down the rabbit hole on uh, low-carbon cholesterol. Um, so I'll send you this YouTube video, Darren, that talks about it. He's got all the numbers and stuff. And uh, I'm not on right very on low carb, that. though. That's probably part of the problem. What's that? I'm not on very low carb is probably part of the problem. Well, yeah, that's what it'll say that sugar, like I, it's probably going to give you the advice that John Brisson did where it's like, yeah, I just, just cut, cut out your I sugar. Cut, I cut the sugar out pretty much. But he, but it would be good to be armed for the doctors and stuff. Cause he talks about how the whole cholesterol thing was done. And I mean, he's, he's been really pushing back on COVID too. I really wanted to have him on uh, last couple of years. He was doing some great work deconstructing uh, what was going on in Europe and the media and the lies and all that and the, the broken models that they were following and really what was happening. So yeah, he's been good. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I just been eating out too much is all so handy. Now I realize why he was called the fat emperor. Cause I found him during COVID. I didn't realize the fat emperor meant probably healthy fats. You know, remember this, uh, jingle it used to be everyone's favorite. Great. It's an all in believer in chemtrails. Chemtrails. Yeah. I remember. That's the most requested, uh, jingle is ranked him. Nice. So I got another email here. This is from, uh, from Merjam McLean. Do you remember her uh, writing as known in TT? Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to just uh, talk about this book here and put it in the show notes. Um, hi Graham in October, 2019. So October, 2019, just before the world went to hell, you invited me for an interview and I'm still very grateful for that. Following you on Facebook. I understand that you are strong, strongly <laughs> critical. <laughs> Of what current governments are doing with regard to COVID, <laughs> as am I. And in response, I've written a fictional story. 
fictional because I believe it can reach a different audience than the many wonderful projects that already exist. So we can get more people on our side. Hence, it is intended to allow for all sorts of readers to find characters that they can relate to, some more aggressive than others. I was hoping that you would be willing to promote the book if you are in agreement with it, for which I've attached the ebook in two formats. So, um, yeah, I'm going to. It's called the Vaccination Inquisition 2023. Um, I'm going to read quickly something here. This is a work of fiction. All characters, institutions, places, and interactions are fictional. And any likeness or similarities to living or non-living people and situations should be considered purely coincidental. This story deals with what is happening to all of us today. And as such, it is a non-country specific story. I've mixed up terminologies, cities, histories, languages, dates, and events. However, the events are real. And directly related to the current situation. And each claim was checked for veracity against at least two instances. So maybe it didn't happen where you lived, but it happened somewhere to somebody. The Vaccination Inquisition 2023, known in TT. I dedicate this book to the whistleblowers and the protesters around the world. Those of all backgrounds, nationalities, ethnicities, and ages. And all those who, in the capacity of their own skills and position, stood up against stood up together against this attack on our humanity. Without you, freedom would not be possible. So it's uh, mm-hmm. fictional. Like, uh, yeah. So not mistake our stance on some things from our social media. Remember when we said we weren't going to get political? We paid the price for being political. We paid a price. We, we paid we a lost, price for being political. Yeah. We lost a ton of support over like between a couple things we were political on that we put up less on COVID than we did on the last one, but it was still like, what, like, like what? Because we're not Your Trump shit. Oh, Trump shit. Yeah. Wow. Neenie, that was a mistake. <laughs> he we might still come back. Trust the plan. Change. I mean, you can't even have faint hope for we change now suckered. in the political process. Yeah. We what? got suckered. What? We got suckered into, you know what it was is the alt media got played into, into promotion without even any advertising money. Sons of bitches. Anyway, I still stand my ground on the COVID shit. Though. Anyways, yeah, Fuck it's you. it's too bad it's not on on website uh, yet. But I will I will not put links website. to this in the uh, sorry on audio yet. Um, but it'd be good to do books like this on audio. That might be a good fiction one to do. There you go. Can't be worse than the Fairgood. Speaking of audiobooks, I think we got like 56 or 57 audiobooks available now. The third Agrippa will be approved right away. The fourth Agrippa will be approved right away. That'll be all just, four just what are the, what are you talking about, Agrippa? This is uh, Agrippa. I don't know. Magic, Cornelius Agrippa's Cornelius. books on magic and occult philosophy. This goes back to the 1500s. Yes, he died in 1635. I think 1535 might have been 1535. Yeah, they're super old. They're super hard to read and uh, super annoying to edit. But I'm glad they're done. <laughs> but they're done, and they're all available there. People have been loving the uh, combined works of Charles Fort. People have been gobbling that up, loving it. I think it's like 45 fucking hours long or something like that. There's like a thousand hours of audiobooks over there at adultbrain.ca. Click on the top link there. Take your rate to Audible. All the books in a list. Away you go. Grab an audio book today. If you don't even have a subscription, I think you could just like give them your info Get a free book. Listen to that shit. Cancel. Do we have that portal? Can, do we have a link to the portal? We should actually. What are we gonna make one? That'd be a lot of work. What? A, no, I guess it's just a link. It might just be a link. 
Yeah, just pop it we in the show We had it at one time, and I deleted I know we it because we weren't going to take it. You know what's funny? I think there's still like an $11 check from Amazon around here somewhere that we were not going wow, yeah, yeah. because we said we weren't going to take that corporate money. But we should, but we, I mean, this is different because now this is a part of our business is on there. We have to, we have to deal with the devil here and, and play, we have to play th- this game a little bit here because we have these audiobooks on Amazon. So on Audible, I mean, you know, it's the, the it really is the only way we can make money off it. Otherwise it would cost us a fortune and we wouldn't make anything. So so we're doing that. We're putting lots of interesting books out there. So maybe can we do that, Darren? Can we populate this show notes with uh, a link that if you're not on Audible, you follow our link, we get a little bit of a kickback, and then you can just subscribe, get your free book, and get off it if you want. Or you can just stay on the Audible thing and get your credits every month. Or you know, some of these books, like the Fort one, is a credit. It's it's basically your monthly your monthly Audible fee, and that's it. 40 something hours of Charles Fort. It's fantastic. For example, I will make an audible portal you will? for this okay. episode, I guess now for this episode. Like, okay. So there's a link to that and that'll stay in the show notes. Like that link will stay in the show notes Sunday night. And, we'll, and we'll reference to End it on weekend. this Easter Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, support the show too. I mean, we couldn't do this without supporters. America.ca slash support. Uh, we're trying to just do this podcast. <clears throat> the audiobooks, the tours, contact at thecabin.com to get in on those tours. Everything for this year is getting sold out fast. There's all those Scablands tours in the fall, though. You get in on that. You could sign up for stuff in the spring. Egypt sold out, but you could still get on the wait list in case something else opens up. I mean, they might do something if enough people get on the wait list, too. If they filled up another bus, they might pull the trigger. I don't know for sure, but I know that there was a bus involved in making the decision to stop. So sign up on the wait list if you're interested, because if there's enough people on the wait list, anything's possible. People could cancel. Anything's possible. If you're not on the wait list, nothing's fucking possible. You're toast. Contact at thecabin.com. Get you all that stuff. America.ca slash support, though, because maybe you're getting some value from this little podcast we do here. This is episode 500 and some. All for free. All available in the back catalog. They're all there. No cutoff. No nothing. Listen to them all. If you like them, support. Sign up for a monthly. Make a one-time donation. It really is super important um, with inflation and stuff. You know, at this point, we almost lose a supporter for everyone we get out there today. It's a tough world out there. We get it, and we love the supporters we got. But it's more important than ever for y'all to step up if you are in the position to even a buck a month, two bucks a month, ten bucks a month. Whatever you can do, we need you to do it because the inflation is hitting home on a lot of people, and the first thing they cut back is their podcast subscription, especially if it's a value-for-value value podcast subscription and they don't even really need to have it to get all this content. So go America.ca slash support. We're asking you, please, please sign up this week. Can I can I do a quick uh, project no. operation for you? Uh, what? Uh, no, you got to save no? it because I'm doing something. I had to okay. think. Okay. You can wait. I'll pull. Okay. But this is, has to do with Gordon's show. That's right. Too late. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and oh go subscribe to the crowd. It's been a while. It's been a while since there, there must be something big here. It's been a while since Darren's put just well, I got nothing. social media. I got, I, you just mentioned that uh, Marjorie's seen us on the Facebook page, so I figured... Oh, yeah. We haven't gone to that for a while. Honestly, the Twitter is so crazy that you just can't uh, 
I couldn't really Can't pick anything out of it or pick anything up for the show. But uh, we can go. Oh, you're silly memes. You're silly memes. What memes? What do you mean, my silly memes? You see those on Facebook, too? I see some of them. But lately, you've been uh, sending stuff to Facebook. Oh, it's just the default. Once I turned it on, it stays on, I think, yeah. It would be nice to see more support toward Mother Earth. Oh, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't go into that. We are. We support Mother Earth. We support Mother Earth. Uh, okay, let's go. What do we got? Here we got on episode 253. Thank you, Kathy Eck. I love your Nullable Smallies blog. Life-changing. 253, Kathy Eck? I don't know if I remember that one. Can you uh, read me the description of the app? Grammarica talks losing belief in ancient mystery schools. Wow. Fuck, that sounds great, but I don't remember either. <laughs> you sure that's us? It's hard to say. Uh, on number 540, Ben Van Kirkwick. Hmm. A lot of claims made. He should advise the listeners that recent experiments show how core drills, cutting, polishing methods of granite work with the old tool die set. Easy to find examples at Sacred Geometry Decoded and Scientists Against Myths. And when he says precision, what does he mean mathematically? Gobekli Tepe has bowls made of stone many thousands of years earlier. This technology wasn't invented by the Egyptians. I think uh, Eyes Open is a little confused. And he should probably go watch some of Ben's stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Number 541, Micah Dank. Hello, you tasty Canadians. Thanks for the show. Micah's work is mind-blowing. As Micah said, Dave from Gen Z is great, and it's a good idea to have him on your show. By the way, I love stargazing, astronomy, old civilizations, and all secret stuff. If you even think about all that data in context of symbolism, wow. Love from Poland. Ah, what else do we got? Maybe Well, that's what's crazy about, so I'm reading this book called Ancient Egypt, Light of the World, book 12 right now, and it's about the resurrection and the from Amenta and the and about uh, Jesus being uh, basically uh, Horus. Oh, and yeah. it's uh, I'm telling it's, you, it's dude, it's so deep, man. This Noah, like, you wonder some about correlation how does this, with Noah how do they even get into like how do they even do these huge fucking Bible books and stuff based on like Egyptian mythologies? I mean, it's unbelievable. But this this funny that today's Easter and it's. It's about the uh, resurrection from Amenta, the Last Supper, the founders of the kingdom, Sut and Horus, Jesus in the Mount, the mysteries today and the, the miracles. Day Jesus died. What? Is today the day Jesus died. Aren't you a Christian? He's resurrected, wasn't he? Aren't you a Christian? I'm not a Christian. Catholic. I'm not. No. 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 Well, it must have been something. Something must have happened today. Seems like a big deal. I got off work. <laughs> you got off work? Yeah. That so, was on um, Friday. So there was what, some correlations between saying, Noah and Osiris, too, I think, right? What? Noah and Osiris, too? Yeah. 
I watched a movie yesterday. Um, about the moon getting closer to Earth, like it was gonna crash into it. And the cool thing was that the moon was like uh, a mega structure. And there was a conspiracy theorist ranting about it. He turned out to be right, the conspiracy <laughs> guy. He was having a little conference and stuff. But uh, the interesting thing was is that this moon was powered by a white dwarf star, and it was like here to seed the Earth of humanity. Wow, and that's all fantastic. these Earths were sent out all over. All these moons were sent out, and uh, that's what made humans. And and some evil AI got involved. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to spoil it. What, I what, what it was, was the movie? Do I, I this moon something? It was wow, on Amazon cool. Prime. Wow. It was all right. It was the first movie I've watched in a while. It was all right. Uh, it was like, uh, it was um, very cheesy. Oh, was it? Tacky, but fun. Uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I was laughing a lot, you know. <clears throat> okay, last one. This one is on Atlantis in the Azores with Randall Carlson, which is a little thing from our, this is one of our Rockfin episodes that ended up going out to YouTube later. And uh, which is interesting, which is prevalent because we're going to play after this, we're going to play a quick little teaser from our Rockfin episode with Peter the Enigma Seeker. And uh, you can over to rockfin.com slash America if you want to check that stuff Who's out. Who's saying the opposite, that Atlantis is in Egypt? Yes. Yes, yeah. just like he the resurrection. Right. The resurrection right. apparently comes from Egypt too, which is today is the resurrection Sunday, right? So. All right. We got, hey guys, pardon my criticism. But this is regardless a sincere attempt attempt to point out some things that I feel are not considered in in this analysis anywhere I've yet seen. First and foremost, the Earth does not function under plate tectonics, but rather it expanded due to internal pressure building up as its magnetic field composed of ethereal, ethereal particles locked in orbit around Earth brought particles to merge at the highly concentrated region of the center of the planet. I think he's talking about pair production there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like electric universe yeah. stuff in a way. Growing earth. The earth then expanded. Neil this Adams is expanded earth, earth theory. Earth, yeah. The earth's crust fractured. Okay. So it's expanded earth stuff. Well, that would be cool. I mean, maybe Egypt used to be in the Azores before the earth expanded and they just left some stuff behind. Is that how that works? All right, what else you got? Well, I was trying to picture the, that how that works, but I I can just work about like my pay grade. We it's should have Neil Adams on again, but he went pretty off the rails with the Trump derangement syndrome. Oh, did he? Yeah, but mm. it's almost over, I think. Now it's uh, some new derangement syndrome. Anyway, what else you got? Well, the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. Well, I mean, you and you and Gordon were talking about like how safe we are from a nuclear threat because we're pretty close to uh, some missile bases in Montana and Dakota. Was uh, Minot? Minot is in Dakota. We drove past there a long time ago. That's far though. When we went to the Paradigm Symposium, it's quite far. So I was looking up um, like a project operation, and I found this one which is pretty interesting because it's kind of got to do with what you're asking. It says uh, six massive secret operations that are all hidden around you. So one of them is um, LA's urban oil rigs. I'm just going to skip through the ones that I don't want to get into. Um, They're saying there's a whole bunch of these oil rigs right in LA. There's hidden government bunkers. 
There's one called uh, Project Greek Island. There's a bunch of these secret bunkers. Uh, the Disguised Cell Phone Towers is another one. And this is from a pretty mainstream. It's just called Cracked.com, so I'll put a link in the show notes. And then there's another one, um, Disguised Government Buildings. And number one is Underground Homeless Cities. The real mole people. But the one that one I'm in interested in... What's that? I heard, I heard there's a huge one in Vegas. Yeah, that's what they showed pictures of there. Yeah, they said like hundreds of, I don't know if it's miles or meters of tunnels. So missile silos is the other one. So at first, missile silos were set up as above ground launch facilities completely out in the open. But then came the Cold War. And after the successful orbit of Sputnik in 57, the U.S. started to feel a bit uncomfortable with the entirety of their weapons just sitting there, visible from space and being tripped over by drunken farmers. So they were all relocated to where they'd be safe from a nuclear blast and out of sight, underground. And we all know that, right? The missile surfacing from beneath the army base is a war movie trope. The surprising thing, though, there's often no base. At the height of the Cold War, the U.S. had an estimated, so guess how many, Minuteman missiles hidden in silos? 652,000. What? A hundred no <laughs> at the height of the Cold War, the US had an estimated a hundred uh, sorry, a thousand Minuteman missiles hidden wow. in silos across the country. But don't worry, fewer than five hundred are active today. Where are they hiding? Well, if we knew they'd have to kill us, but we know they're literally everywhere, and we've got proof after the Cold War silos that were emptied were just left to the elements, no longer serving any purpose. But recently, abandoned bases have been appearing on the real estate market for a missile base that cost the U.S. government $3 million to build in the 60s. You can snatch one up for as low as $100,000 and live in it. Whether or not you want to spend your free time plotting the death of the British men in tuxedos is entirely up to you. The methods of camouflage vary, and they show some pictures. So there you have it, Darren. There's like 500 of them spaced around and hidden hidden plain sight. So we don't know if they know where they are. We got to get our hands on a nuke. It'd be handy. Right? Hundred thousand's not much for a silo to live in. We should buy a silo. We could move you into one. Where you have a nuke in it? it uh, no, with, they're emptied. Half of them are emptied. It would come with power. We could tap into it. Just wired up yeah. power forever. Yeah. All right, guys, enjoy. We got a little uh, best of, little highlight reel here. Check out Peter the Enigma Seeker. And then we're going to jump into our chat with the fabulous Gordon White. Happy Easter. Enjoy the chat. I want to start out basically saying this quote here. I think this is so important and people always diverge away, especially for the new agers, I would say. So I would say, you know, if you do you seek the myth, you know, do you seek the mythical lands that dwells beneath the restless waves of your original sin? If you do, you must first find Eden. And Plato definitely emphasizes this idea of this fall that happens. And again, in the movie Elite of Battle Angel, they emphasize that too. Um, so there's definitely some kind of fall. There's this original sin that happened, and it's something freaky, some weird event happened in history. It's not just some kind of metaphysical or you know broad idea of basic sin, but there's something real that happened. I think it had something to do with magic, and Egypt is definitely 
was obsessed with magic far more than many other cultures. Yeah, because we don't really know where in the Younger Dryas, because the Younger Dryas spans thousands of years. So did it start right at the end of the Bowling Alloy period or right in the middle of the Younger Dryas? But the, it's, it's, it's not like, more than likely, the Younger Dryas possibly could have been caused by meteors but the meteor impacts the impacts of those you know the sometimes a blip comes sharp but then it drops really quick but the younger dry is kind of it, it, it extends out for a while and that seems to be more of a processionary thing something happening with the planet's rotation um so but i do think there was a natural disaster that caused the destruction of atlantis but i don't think you know something in greenland um the, like the hiawatha crater is now dated to be 30 million years okay and it, you're gonna have to have a big margin of error to correlate that with atlantis so i don't think that's the evidence that would support the structure of atlantis so you've got this new camel relief that was kind of recently date redated and they're putting it back to 5200 bc at the most and, instead of uh 2000 bc and then they found the ostrich egg and they're putting this this map of the pyramids on this egg to about 4,000 BC at max to maybe 3,000 BC. And then the Dixon relic was rediscovered and they're putting that date now to over 3,000 BC instead of 2,500 BC. And then you have the luminescence datings on the Menkori pyramid on just a few of the um, case casey stones of the megaliths. And they're dating that to maximum 4,400 BC. And then you have, you know, the biblical record. And if the evangelicals kind of say, oh, the earth's only 5,500 years old. Well, maybe that's not the freaking earth that's that old, but maybe that's the genesis of some kind of dynasty that was established. It, It seems to be, we know that the populations were mainly the largest population regions seem to start in the Middle East. And we can trace back the origins of the history of steel, the history of cattle migrations, horse migrations, plant migrations. And there's lots of papers on these uh, very specific um, elements of certain plants, certain animals, and we can trace back how they start to disperse when humans force them to disperse and um, utilizing them for agriculture. Let's emphasize this map a little bit. So this is Herodotus' map. Again, this map, is only is not that old relative to Atlantis. So this map only goes back to Herodotus, so around 600 uh, BC. But so that's where he places Hyperborea way up in the north. Okay, but that doesn't mean that's where the original name inspiration came from. More than likely, it was inspired by again Atlantis, the idea of lost civilization. There's similar correlations in the story of Hyperborea, but he wants to connect it because they start learning about um, the Vikings and um, the people from Ukraine, basically, and they came down into the Black Sea region and they were aware of them. So they said, well, "Let's call them the Hyperboreans kind of region." <laughs> but that because it just depends on the map maker at the time. Every map maker had a different idea of what the world looked like. It just wasn't consistent. But they did somehow place the name. Atlanta, that's one of the original is Nihilus ex Atlanta profluiusness, I think it says, um, as a reference to the river of the Nile. And they thought maybe the Nile went to the west. Okay, it never went to the west. They just didn't know. They pro- whoever built this map, oh, he got knowledge from people probably who stopped right about here. And they're like, well, we don't really know anything out here. Let's just say the Nile diverts that way. So, but we can also migrate. I um, mean, also use uh, migration patterns of the bulls or of cattle in general. And we know cattle never really existed in Europe um, during the Ice Age. It wasn't until it spread out of Anatolia, Mesopotamia, and Egypt. So they, it was those animals were pushed up there. As the animals were pushed up there, the religions were adopted. 
So we know that's where the Minoans get their influence on their religion. It came from Egypt because possibly the Minoans were a settlement of Egypt way in the past. And that's where we say, well, maybe Atlantis was Egypt and they tried to conquer the Mediterranean or at least the eastern part of the Mediterranean. And that's where the Greeks are kind of referencing Egypt again. Okay, people forget that the Muslims have tradition on Atlantis too, but they don't call it Atlantis. Um, But they definitely were influenced by this idea of the round city. And the round city is because they knew the earth was round. Okay, not necessarily flat. They knew it was spherical, but they knew the world had a round aspect. Because looking at the stars, look at the moon is very obvious. And the Persians really wanted to be like Atlantis. This is where Plato's getting the idea of the round city. Okay, it's not, he's saying that it's not that, oh, this is Atlantis. No, he's saying that the Persians are behaving like the Atlanteans and that's bad. Okay, and you're building these round cities, you're trying to be like them and recreate that crazy civilization where the gods rule. And they said that was bad, basically. So there's a geopolitical kind of allegory that Plato was emphasizing on Persia because the Persians tried to conquer the Greeks. But these two cities are, yeah, very interesting. And this is the closest we're going to get to what the original Atlantis may have looked like. Okay, now this is the very, this is just the ruins. But I do think it was round because there is a tradition of building very round cities, especially if it was a capital. Um, this was called, let's see, I can barely see that. They look Gore pretty similar and, in um, size too. They look almost the same. They're about one, yeah, they're about one mile in diameter. Um, and actually, they, may, they think it might have had another wall ringed around it, and that was the agricultural plains that feed just that specific city state. And but yeah, the Persian. Um, Darius the first and second, they went to these cities and they saw themselves as the Neo-Atlanteans. That's why they referred to the word Aryans. They were the new Aryans. Um, and there was definitely an emphasis on this. And Persia was a major influence on the Greeks. And the, the problem is Plato wanted to shift it to something a little larger, a little more magnificent. You know, they still honored Egypt, but um, they wanted to put it out to the new area of Gibraltar because that's they started to know about that area. So I was saying, well, let's put it let's way out there because that's because it's possible that the priests of Solnches of Sias may have been hinting that there was a lost continent that's simply North and South America. In Syria, the Mari uh, city-state, you know, it's not that big, but they're definitely... Um, inspired by the idea of the round city. And it goes back to the Egyptian hieroglyph for city. So this is the Garden of Eden, basically. This is the largest green oasis in the whole Middle East for tens of thousands of years. And during the Ice Age, this was even drier. All the lands were drier. And But what stayed fertile is because they got volcanic silt from Lake Victoria and that regions of Mount Kilimanjaro. So it would keep this very fertile, whereas the Tigris and Euphrates did not have that type of soil. So if if Atlantis really was Cairo, we got a problem because now it's completely reused over and over and over for thousands of years. Atlantis never truly died. It just morphed and morphed. If you're talking about civilization that was so powerful and such had such an influence on the Greeks and the Persians and the Sumerians, that, that, that doesn't just die. The evidence just doesn't go away. There is evidence. And they found megaliths under the under Cairo, megalithic statues buried 30 or 40 feet down as they're digging up for new foundations of building. I think the Sphinx is looking right at Atlantis. 
if the Sphinx really is older and there's evidence of erosion by the river, flooding of the river, a massive flooding, not just your normal uh, summer or springtime floodings of, of the Nile, but a natural disaster that the Islamic traditions emphasize that there was a massive, they, this civilization of Ad or Iram had these dams, it ruptured, it rained for days on end, and they were happy that it was raining because they were in a drought, but all of a sudden it was just too much and it destroyed their city. And if you're putting a city-state on a plane like this, it could be completely wiped out. And that's where I get to this idea that the clues are also in other mythologies. Oh, we I don't have it. to just those, rely yeah. on Atlantis. Yeah. There are clues in the idea of Tartessos. Tartessos may have been a settlement of Atlantis in Spain. Okay, not a big one, but maybe been something that inspired of Atlantis. There's Hyperborea. Okay, if you're switching the coordinate points of, um, uh, you know, it's possibly Hyperborea was actually Egypt and not all the way north, but then Plato or Herodotus said, eh, let's put it up there for now. Maybe it's not the same legend. Okay, it depends on how they interpret it at the time. There's also Asgard, Agartha, Shambhala, Dwarka. Eldorado is kind of a new one. And Eden, but Ad, Iram, and Saba in the Islamic tradition really is kind of specific to what Eden is saying in Atlantis, too. They're what? saying there was a city. They had a garden. They were flooded. A major disaster happened, and it's because they did something evil. Gordon White, welcome back to America. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me back. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. These are always really fun chats. Oh, yeah. I've been looking forward to it, too, because uh, after reading your book, I've just been itching to talk to you about it. I mean, I listened to you on on uh, Miguel's show, of course, Aeon Bite, which was fantastic. So I did want to ask you a little bit about that um, that conference that you and Miguel were doing there. Maybe we could sort of start with that, but I, I can't wait for to sure. get into your book because I... Honestly, I think your book is a game changer this time. And thank I mean, you, thank you. Not not that it wasn't last time, but there's something about the timing with this, and just I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, like I'm still in Mexico. Um, Miguel arranged a conference. Uh, this is obviously Miguel from Aeon, but I arranged a conference called uh, Astronostic over the equinox uh, in Playa del Carmen, and it was super fun. I mean, because we were just talking about it before we hit record. Uh, us, us colonial types have not had a good couple of years, right? And so certainly my first time out of uh, off the prison island uh, in two years, and it was just the best um, the best salve after such wounds to just hang out with like Miguel and Chris Knowles and, and, and different premium members and all the rest of it. It was really, really good. Nice. That's it's great. I've been, so somehow what's it like I've getting been, into oh. Mexico? Uh, getting into Mexico is fine. Um, so... I, we were talking about it beforehand. I ended up getting, I'm trying to get everyone to call Novavax the moth shots because they think it's funny, but it's just not taking off. Um, <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't need the injection to get out of Australia. Um, although I did on the, the, the airline that I took because Qantas forces you to do it. But in order to get to Mexico, I had to fly through the US and, and non-Americans have to be injected to, to get in. So um, I ended up, and it was funny, like I, uh, the, the moth shots came out you know, you've got to wait like two weeks or whatever it is in between the shots. And you've got to have the shots for seven days before the United States considers you vaccinated or whatever. And it was literally down to the day. So that if I didn't get in on the first day of <laughs> injections, my flights would not have been good. But like wandering into Mexico was fine. I know certainly for Canadians, it's, um, and to some extent, Australians as well, who are very interested in health sovereignty, it's the promised land. 
but there's all these rumors about like they're not giving you 180 days and all the rest of it. Now, I am not planning on staying here, although I've got an election coming up back home. And if we remain insane, maybe I will. But um, they didn't. I think a lot of that is overblown. Um, they just gave me the 180 days and, and everyone else who kind of landed, it was the same thing. And we were landing in Cancun, where everyone does. So uh, getting into Mexico, I think there's a lot of fear about it. I think if, if you're just a bit normal about it and you don't show up with like, a chicken in a cage under your arm and like everything you own so that they don't look at you weird. Um, I think it's fine. So, yeah, cause my friend moved there with his wife. He just uprooted and went there. Um, and actually he's got a place. I think he's near Merida as well. Um, that seems to be a lot of Canadians home. here. This is like the, this is, this is the city for, for, it was the city for expats even before all of this shit. Right. Yeah. exactly. Uh, and, and, uh, it's really like, it's lovely. Um, if I was planning on living in, in Mexico, I a hundred percent would live maybe not exactly in Merida, but around it, the city is, the people are great. It's it's hot, but I'm Australian. It's fine, right? Um, and, but it's just got this sort of chilled elegance to it. Uh, I, it's it's a really cool town. So people who are listening, if they're thinking like of, of making the jump to Mexico uh, and worried about being a cliche because it is a bit cliche at this point <laughs> to move to Merida, it's still a really cool town. So um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. I, I endorse it. I absolutely endorse it. So you don't need you don't technically need the job to get into Mexico then because. No, 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 no. Because I, I heard rumors. Yeah, you go. Go. No, you go ahead. You heard a rumor that. And I heard rumors in Australia that we're not even going to apparently need them to come and go from like April eighteenth. So the um, the, the tyranny is um, winding back as they as they ready us for the. Well, we're halfway through the next narrative of World War Three and all the rest of it, right? But uh, I think what what I hoped would happen as we head into our federal election next month is that the major parties are aware that there's a size of a chunk of the population that does not want to have a fucking bar of more, any more of this medical tyranny, right? And so the best thing to do to kind of cut the legs out from these minor parties that have sprung up, and rightly so, um, is to just remove their platform by saying, okay, well, we're rolling back the mandates and, and so on. And and it's looking, fingers crossed, that uh, Australia will do that. So um, so I may yet go home. Because <laughs> it, yeah. it is weird. Like I went through the border the other day to, to the States and they didn't ask. They didn't even ask. No. So I drove. So through, that's the other thing. And they didn't yeah, ask. But on, the, but on the way back, it was a super pain in the ass. They're, they they say that I'm going to have a $5,700 fine coming to me because I didn't follow their instructions on, you know, how no, to come we'll back. See. Did so anyone we'll, call we'll, you we'll yet? See. No, I haven't. Uh, they haven't. I haven't heard from anybody. No, that, well, no, they haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't heard from anybody yet. Classic yeah, when government. I landed in Dallas, it was the same, right? So my the Australian airline, the national carrier Qantas, made sure that you had your little, like, tyrannical bio bio. QR code thing to show you've been injected. But I landed in Dallas. They didn't care. And, and, and asking the people around and sort of just eavesdropping as we were collecting our bags, they didn't ask anyone. Oh, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. It. So, yeah. It's that it really is showing a difference between the States and Mexico compared to Canada, even though they're even supposed to be following these things they're They don't really care as much as they do in uh, our yeah, exactly. countries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, we drew the short straw, gentlemen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. And the lady at the board I've been said, having a oh, blast. This- I mean, I still, you know, I don't. I've I've traveled more in the last two years than I have probably in the Show previous off. ten combined. <laughs> 
just no, by faking it every I, step I, of the way. I mean, that's really good about yeah. not being on an island. I mean, I couldn't handle being on a fucking island because they really just. It's, it was a lot. Like, I, it really messed with my health um, last year. Like, I got, like, I had a serious heart incident from basically loneliness and despair in the middle of June last year. Like, it was just too much. Uh, I love Tasmania. I love where I live, but I was not told, I was not informed when I moved there that it's sort of like, this is it. <laughs> the former prison island is once again a prison island and you can't leave it. And uh, that wasn't ever part of the deal <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. So it messed me up. I, I would not recommend it. I would not recommend being um, imprisoned by the state for no reason for two years. It's, it's not great. Yeah, that's what, what can you do? Grundy yeah. was saying. He's like, what am I supposed to do? He's like, maybe I could jump a boat up to the Philippines or something. He's like, it's not like Canada where you can just like fi- sneak your way into the States somehow. He's like, no, there's no I, way I off this motherfucker. That, yeah. I got to the point of thinking that as well because I actually have some friends like Friends of friends who are um, Torres Strait Islanders, so the sort of indigenous people at the very top of Queensland there where you can kind of, you wouldn't swim it because of the crocodiles and box jellyfish and so on. But there are kind of rules because they've been traveling in that part of the world for thousands of years that you can kind of get to New Guinea um, and, and trade and so on. And I'm like, I was thinking I could probably get to the top of Australia and and bribe someone to get me into New Guinea and from New Guinea travel on my British passport. And so I had the same thing. I had like a, what, how can I technically get out of here if I need to? And that was my plan. Top of Australia, off to New Guinea and from New Guinea out. <laughs> Crazy. We're even having a talk like that. I know. <laughs> well, I still think Graham would have been okay, but he went into like the, the, the most hardcore, where he went into Brit- British Covidia over there, where they're just like, even right. the like Quebec has been rolling it back, and BC the whole time's just been doubling down. No way, no way, Jose. Yeah, there's funny like Australia's. We've got our Western Australia's our version of that, right? Where they're just living, they're just like going their own way. That's just we're going to be this whole extra country. No one's going to come in or out without boosters. It's a mess. Um, and and there are some other states that are kind of going, okay, maybe we overreacted here, uh, and and that's a positive sign. So, what's the reaction been since your book came out so far? How's well, wait, it going wait, so far? before we get into the book, I want to because the last time we had Gordon on. He was telling us how like it was going to get super shitty and then it was like going to be better than ever. So I want to know where we are in that cycle. Like, uh, Oh no, it still gets like, so world war three. And this is one of the things that like historians can, you can make the case that world war three started now. Right. Um, but you will know it's probably started, um, Q1 of next year. And so it's not good. And between now and 2027, nuclear weapons will be used in multiple Western cities. Um, so it's shit. It's, it's really, it's really bad. Like this is as good as it gets, uh, for a while. Um, but you know, that's, that's just where we are. And that's a thing we have to go through. So, um, the, the three year reaction, of COVID has happened. Like it's basically to the month winding itself back, right? Because we're in April now. Uh, so that's good. But the, the war thing really does happen. It's not imminent. There's a big event, like the next couple of weeks, according to Martin Armstrong anyway, are going to suck. Um, but proper, like a proper war is beginning of next year. So that's not great. Um, but <laughs> I thought it was going to get... Are. 
I thought it would 2022 was going to be pretty dark and then we we're going to start moving in towards the light in 2023. That's just on the kind of like the healthcare side of things. That's oh, just on like oh, the, the COVID okay. stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, worldwide. So the war next year, as far as I can see or tell, is like a, it, between the beginning of next year and 2027, it engulfs everyone, but it starts in Europe. So where we are now, isn't going to be as bad. We're just going to have to deal with, um, you know, the shortages in everything and the, the subsequent hyperinflation uh, as a result. So it's, um, you know, the, the COVID thing is, has fulfilled its usefulness as, and they got a whole bunch of stuff through, you know, that uh, wouldn't have been possible before. Because that's the thing, it's very difficult to celebrate like, yay, no more lockdowns, yay, no more mandates, except that, They've done it and got away with it, which means they'll do it again if they need to. And that's this whole World Health Organization pandemic treaty that they're, they're rolling out now. The fact that we we took it the first time, it's like an abusive marriage, right? Like if, if, if your spouse punches you once, they're going to punch you again. Uh, and that's just how it is. And we got punched. Uh, we got punched real good. We burned the roast real good and got punched, and uh, it's going to happen again. So, and, and um, they've also been able to yeah. funnel money through all to all their friends, and they just print whatever they want now and funnel it to all the. So we haven't even seen the impact of the the funding of who they wanted to fund. I, yeah, I, sure, sure. And and this this inflation that hilariously they're blaming on Russia. This is the impact of lockdowns. And in fact, I actually think that's what's going on in Shanghai at the moment uh, is uh, because that's the world's biggest container port and it's closed. And I think that's um, I think that's Xi playing the same or rolling the same kind of dice that Putin's rolled, which is like, OK, sanctions it is. We have 30 percent of the world's wheat and 40 percent of its fertilizer, which is true. <laughs> and uh, and look what's happening. Xi's doing the same thing because people are like, what's going on in Shanghai? Why are they doing this? But one of the upshots of it is closing the world's largest container port, which is absolutely um, destroying, particularly the American um, economy. But as a result, um, this like history's least popular president is getting even less popular. And this is the guy that's coming after. Well, he's not, he's a potato, but like the people behind him is coming after Putin and Xi. So we're, this is what I mean by you can make the case we're in World War Three now. I think a big part of the Shanghai lockdowns is closing a container port because that is felt most acutely in the U.S. economy where they're already dealing with the highest inflation in 40 years and, and so on. But this is what it's going to look like um, up, up through 2027. You're going to look at it and go, why does the world not make sense? It actually does make sense. You just need to find the people for whom it makes sense. And, and this is, yeah. This yeah, is it's hard for people to wrap their head around making a sacrifice to a city for the global supply chain like that. I mean, it's... Yes. Oh, yeah. That's. I mean, it's full-blown totalitarianism. It's not like... I approve of you doing it. I don't no, approve no, of any of these. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. so people uh, won't make that connection because they don't, they're not psychopaths. That's that real David Icke thing. It's like the reason the predator class can get away with it is because most people aren't psychopaths so that they actually just can't think that way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So do you think that, I mean, some people that I've, I've listened to that are pretty smart with sort of global politics think that this is sort of a destruction of the unipolar global totally. infrastructure and it is going to become multipolar and they think that's a good thing. I mean, do you think that that's, that that's what's shaking out now or it's, 
it's just what happens, like whether it's good or bad, right? Like yeah. it's just what happens. So if you are, and this is a real Martin Armstrong point again, he was on, I don't really like at all Greg Hunter and USA Watchdog, but he actually asked a couple of good questions this time to Martin Armstrong. So if you're listening, it's the most recent one. And um, if you were G, you've just watched the the worst sanctions any country's ever had to endure be put on Russia and like individual billionaires and all this kind of stuff. Again, not my favorite people, but it's what happened. But if you're Xi and if you're the BRICS countries, you've looked at it and said, oh, okay, I see that we're next, right? And you've seen them be kicked out of SWIFT and the rest of it. So it forces Eurasia to integrate anyway. Like it's the, the multipolar world is the side effect of this ham-fisted, desperate, um, clunky, psychotic attempt to keep American unipolarism going uh, and, and to cover the sins and, and inadequacies and incompetencies of governments in Europe and, and North America who've basically bankrupted themselves and destroyed their own bond market. That's why they need World War III, right? Like it's a way it is. They tried a great reset based on a virus, like based on a medical story, and they got a lot done. Um, but wars are always a better reset. Uh, that's what they're for. Um, they're, that's where you get to reset and renegotiate your debt obligations. Uh, and that's why they need it. So that's why we're going to get it. It's just what happens. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, I'm tired of pretending otherwise. I, I kind of think this idea that the future is everything or anything you can make it, it's just capitalism. Like, it's not true. There isn't a single magical or spiritual system that thinks that. And it doesn't mean that everything is ordained, but some things are. Like, some things are going to happen. And, and people are like, oh, I don't believe that. I believe the future is what you make it. I'm like, what, what is this? Like a tampon ad? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, this is, it, it's not actually... A, a philosophical position. It's an economic one. It's it's this kind of um, great American dream story, and that's that's never been right. But it's also it's dangerous to think that now. It's dangerous to think like we'll just think positive and get through into a brighter new year. It's like no, the inertia of what's going on gets worse before it gets better. That's just what it is. But there is something to be said. I mean, Darren was just sort of making fun of me again for not putting COVID on a pedestal, like not putting the woman on a pedestal. Um, and because we've, this has been the struggle or how much do you focus on and how much do you sort of watch with detached appreciation? How much do you adjust your life due to these sort of unseen, uh, sort of unknown futures? But I mean, there is something to say for focusing in the right way though, and not brooding on the, 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 the doom oh, scrolling of it. Right. So there oh, is kind absolutely. of still a, still a manifestation part of it though. Right. I mean, yes. maybe not your whole future, but how to catch those opportunities or how to see what's coming a little bit more discerning instead of just, you know, uh, living in this negative state. Absolutely. And so for that, I think, and I actually opened one of my books, Chaos Protocols, with it. It's a quote from Terence McKenna. And the challenge isn't to find the answer, it's to face the answer, right? Like, and if you, um, if you're looking at 2023 and the fact that there is going to be a war, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, you still have to do what you have to do, which is keep your family healthy and happy or whatever it is, right? And But it's more like you need to be medium high confident that that's what's going to happen rather than like, that's going to pick up any day now. That's just like bad risk management, but I agree completely. And, and it's not, 
you don't brood on it. You kind of have this detached view. And also on a daily basis, there are energetic and, and attitudinal things you can do that are really, really useful. So in the shamanic training that I completed last year, one of the hummingbird medicines of the north is to, like the north direction of the medicine wheel, is to live only on the nectar of life. So not on garbage. And it doesn't mean that garbage doesn't exist, but it means that like the hummingbird, which weighs less than a quarter and flies from Brazil to Canada, like across the Gulf of Mexico, it doesn't do that by brooding on garbage, like it lives on nectar. Uh, and, and so there's the hummingbird medicine is to live only on the nectar of life. Uh, and it's not to ignore the other stuff. It's that actually nourishment comes from living on nectar, not brooding on your own garbage. And I think that's really wise. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, Darren, Glad I don't live do you, in Europe, I suppose. Well, yes, so that's a good... Like, but I got to go to Egypt of, in November. I'm still good in November, right? We, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. So the work... The, the Can I get that in writing? ...is more... The space weather in November is more around the midterms. The only thing that's a cross current for you for getting to, and you'll probably be all right this year because airlines forward book their fuel by about 12 months, but we're going to hit a point in the next few months where they're just going to have to say, listen, we need to put the prices of seats up by 50%, even for people who book it, like that kind of stuff. So the cross current for that is um, is the sort of hyperinflation. And the hyperinflation, because um, the majority of Egypt's wheat comes from Ukraine. So they're not getting it at the moment, which means you'll be going to a country that might be starving. Uh, and as a result, might be unstable. So those are the, this is what I mean, like, uh, <laughs> that's where, where Egypt gets its wheat from is where it gets its wheat from. Like there's no way you can kind of like wish that differently. So that would be my only risk. I hope you get there. I think the worst stuff that happens around November is to do with the U.S. midterms, but those are your cross currents. Those are the things that will, uh, that will get in the way of it if something does. Huh. So is there any, is there any, like, let's well, stay on this. He was going on Europe too. I interrupted him about the, he was. Oh no, it's more like, cause we were just talking about living only on, yeah. on the nectar of life. That's really good. If you, Hey, for once where we live is finally not the worst place to be. Cause if you live in Ukraine, it's all well and good to say <laughs> live only on the nectar of life. It's like, well, sure. Uh, things aren't great though. And, and that's just, this comes back to that personal risk assessment um, for the year. Like I have a lot of premium members uh, in Europe and, and mostly Western Europe. Like, so the sort of closest to Ukraine is Budapest. Um, so central and Western Europe, but I, I'm just telling them honestly what I think is going to happen next year and they can, they can do what they want with it. Right. Uh, as we all can, um, you know, so yeah, uh, don't don't live in Europe is is good advice if you can uh, if you can live somewhere else because I think that's where it gets worse first in terms of Western countries. Is there some is there some of this malleable though? Like, what are is there some like uh, chance that they might overshoot and wake too many people up, or you know what I mean? Is there like a, a sort of a a tipping point that might happen that might just sh- shut this down, or is it no no no? It's this is this is sort of like. Um, 
there's a point where you can stop plane crashes and there's a, a point after which you just have to brace position, right? And there's just too much that has, um, like, the, the fuel and the food supply and the rest of it. And, you know, the most recent thing, and, and Russia has said this, like, if, if Finland and Sweden join NATO, it's the end of their countries. And they announced they're joining yesterday. So there's, the plane is... Yeah, um, put your life jacket on or, or whatever it is um, and, and just and deal with what happens after the metaphoric crash. There's, there's just nothing that there's Europe too much inertia behind kind it. kind of fucked right from the is. beginning. It's like, how are you just going to start fighting with where your gas comes from? I don't, yeah. And your food. It's yeah. fucking crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, yeah. it just makes no sense to me. I mean, that's why... I feel semi-secure where we are because at least we're making our own fucking gas and we've got our own food supply, like just in our own province to a certain extent. It's not indistinguishable, but we can keep 4 million people going here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, What's your uh, thought I, like I, for Australia though? I mean, Australia is kind of like, I feel like if China Australia, gets involved, they're yeah. going right after Australia right away. hundred percent. And I think it's, um, I think it's 80% likely as of today that um, Chinese hypersonic missiles have landed in some Australian cities, so I would assume Canberra and Sydney, by 2027. Um, And China has said as much. But Australia has gone in on this whole AUKUS thing, right? So Australia's challenge is sort of similar to Canada's for the 21st century, is it it has to, and it's failing at doing this, um, thread the needle between its security partners being on one side antagonistic to its major export partners on the other side, right? So um, historically, same as you guys, it's been the US and Britain that have been um, both our cultural and, and like security partners. And they are not just in decline, but they're antagonistic to where our growth comes from economically, uh, which is our neighbors in Asia. And we don't have any, no one has any good politicians, right? Like if we had a good politician, he or she would be threading that needle and and openly saying that that's Australia's great challenge for the 21st century is to navigate the sort of rise of their neighbour and and export partner and, and to do so in a way and to keep ourselves out of this kind of inevitable war between our trading partner and our security partner. But we're terrible, at, uh, like everywhere else. It's just one of those things that's fated. There are no good politicians anywhere except, ironically, and I say good as an effective, not, not as a moral um, judgment, the, uh, the only effective national leader I can think of at the moment is unfortunately Vladimir Putin, and he's just single-handedly better than everyone else um, standing up against him, and that's not a good situation <laughs> for the world to be in. Here we are. But, yes, I, I think Australia is woefully unprepared and making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision heading into a really dangerous time for the world. That's just what it is. Have you seen at all a pushback against colonialism from cultures worldwide as well. I mean, and this kind of has to do a little bit with your book, but I feel like I've seen a couple of things recently that kind of make me go, Oh, is there another whole factor here that's happening? Like people are with the internet now and all these people sort of waking up to 
what the British Empire has done and and what America turned into. Um, yeah. Is there like a different sort of put, an, more of an organic sort of indigenous pushback? Hundred percent. That's what this is. Like, if you take a longer view, a multi-century view of what's going on, the end of Western hegemony, which happens this decade, uh, and the sort of rise of an integrated Eurasia. Again, there's, there are all kinds of different models for this, right? But like a westward movement of capital or so on happens. And if you just track from, say, Rome to the rise of European powers to the right, well, even going back further, right? Like Babylon, Sumer, Egypt, Rome, Western Europe, Britain, the East Coast of the US, which is to say New York, the West Coast, which is to say Silicon Valley. And we're now in the process of the rise of Beijing as like a major center, right? And that's what happens. The world kind of does this, uh, the sort of West movement of, of power and capital. So what we are witnessing, and this is, I don't want to, millions of people are probably going to die this decade from this, right? So I don't want to say like this is universally a good thing, but there's a lot to be said for the end of Western hegemony, a lot to be said for it. And, and we are seeing it basically kill itself now. And I was talking to some very old and powerful spirits about this a year and a bit ago, like at the end of the first year of so two years ago now of this COVID nonsense going like, why are you letting this happen? Um, and they said, if you, if this doesn't get taken to its natural conclusion, you idiots will try it again, uh, basically. And so one of the things when you look at it with like mystic eyes to see what's going on, it's like, how is it that we have no good leaders in the West at the same time that we're experiencing dramatic global cooling at the same, like we have, I wrote a post six months ago called um, Exodus is a mandate of heaven story. And it's because this idea, this sort of Taoist idea that an emperor that loses the mandate of heaven has like calamities before and, and bring his, empire his kingdom down right so when you lose the mandate of heaven everything is fucked and you get moved out right that's what's happening to the west Uh, and you can actually see that spiritually that we have lost the mandate of heaven (laughs) and so the whole thing comes down and bear in mind that like the british well not just british the european imperial project is, is the worst idea mankind's ever had and, and where we may well be alive for its, like, ultimate ending. That's quite interesting. Um, that's, that's certainly an interesting time to have an incarnation. This is to your point that there is not even just Indigenous resistance. There is uh, Indigenous and decolonial lifeways that are just flourishing and, and, and bursting into life everywhere. Uh, and that's wonderful, right? And the, the, the empire was always going to be unpicked. I mean, Mexico now, as I mentioned, right? And, and basically the first indigenous anarchist resistance was here, right? Like the, the Zapatistas and, and Chiapas, and it was over um, land rights. Well, this, is, this is more than 100 years ago, but they were kind of like, no, get out, <laughs> And, and sort of kicked the army out and have sort of been semi-autonomous ever since. And that's what there are opportunities, I guess, for post-imperial um, decolonial life ways to flourish. And they are. And as you say, there's a lot of that in the book. And it's 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 diffuse and, and at the level of the field. So it's not as obvious as um, parts of the country declaring, you know, legal sovereignty. It's it's something that can't be killed. The way that the 
the way that the post-imperial life rays are appearing is in ways that are impossible for like the outgoing empire to kill. If you set up a blockade, if you just sort of declare indigenous sovereignty over a piece of land, they roll in the tanks, right? But there are other ways that that kind of um, sovereignty and, and, and way of, and, and life way is, is asserting itself that a tank can't shoot at. And that's really exciting. So the thing that comes next, it's not just like the West ends and then something new happens. The new thing, this is to your point about optimism, right? The new thing is has arrived um, and is in the process of arriving. And, and our job or our kind of task rather than job is, or decision, this is a better way of saying it. Um, we have to decide whether we are in the, the outgoing thing that is ending or whether we are in the new thing that is beginning. And the new thing that is beginning is, is uh, I would almost go so far as to say, Indigenous-led, but it is, it is very much like that. It's very much not um, power structures and rules as, as we previously knew them. And so that's the positivity, right? Like the, the, the new thing isn't even waiting to arrive. It's happening now as the old thing is on the way out. It's just going to be a really dramatic departure. That's interesting because I've been sort of predicting that, well, not even predicting so much as saying that things that I never thought possible in my lifetime see like seem to be closer than ever to happening. Like, I don't think Canada being one country is a good fucking idea or good for anybody no. in it. And I think it should be split up into smaller pieces. And I could even see a situation arising in Alberta where some of the indigenous are just like, you know what, we can get along with these motherfuckers in Alberta. And we're sick of hearing it from the, from the federal government. So maybe we should just team up and be our own thing or, or however that works. But it seems to me like the whole union is teetering on falling apart there's separatist talk yeah. all over the place and to me that's a good thing it might not be Agreed. the government i want yet but it's a step away from centralization you must you must Absolutely. be right because i saw a headline today that said we should get rid of the provinces and make canada one big country so they must be <laughs> retaliating with their crazy headlines and fake stories about how that's the, the answer and the more they push, because this is the point where, I mean, like, the, we, we get the crash. Like, the, the plane, there's no, you can't, like, bust in. The, the pilot's died of his clock shot, and, and the plane's coming down. It doesn't matter. You can't bust into the cockpit and, and change anything, right? It's what's happening. Um, every decision or every step the centralizing powers make to try and save themselves hastens their end. Like, to your point, um, Darren, about what the fuck is um, Europe doing? Why are they picking a war with a country they can't defeat or live without? It gives or them all their energy and food, right? I mean, it's like, not even about defeating it? them. They can't even just live without their existence. It's either take no, that motherfucker over completely or shut the fuck up. And it's because they need that war to fix the European like sovereign debt crisis, which will destroy them. So they have no choice. So it's like, okay, well, the European sovereign debt crisis will end the Brussels project completely and the EU. So what do we need to do? We need to cancel this debt. So How it's like being on debt? the edge of the cliff and you either get eaten by the bear or jump to your death. Exactly. So, and, and what um, Graham just said about like seeing an ad, like, oh, we need to get rid of all these provincial governments and just have a centralizing one. Yeah. They've just come out, out of two years of um, eventually like beginning the, the provincial governments 
going along with this idiotic narrative. But one by one, they started not to. And so now you've just got Trudeau talking about the rush he gets from a booster shot. And it looks, I've never seen him look more insane, which is really saying something. And and so if you're in... if you're a centralizing power, you look at the fact that the provinces have all gone their own way and haven't told, haven't done what you want them to do. What you're going to try and do then is get rid of them. If you try and get rid of them, all the people in those provinces are going to be like, actually, as a matter of fact, no, we'll get rid of you. So there's, they only know how to do one thing, which is further centralize. We've got to a point where the further or the faster they try to centralize, the quicker they get to their destruction. That's how I know we're going to end up in World War III uh, because that's the only thing they know how to do. But it will destroy them. It'll kill millions of people, as wars always do. Uh, but there's nothing... And, and I'm optimistic about what happens next as well. And it, and it, you're right that it, it feels... There's something about that scenario, right, Darren, that... I don't know if I would call it Indigenous-led, but it may well be. It may well be. that, As you say, like the non-Indigenous in the province are like, yeah, let's go along with these guys. Like they actually have a governance system that's worked on this land for millennia for a start. Like that's the kind of shit I'd like to see back. Or or even like an actual coming together of the cultures instead of just a steamrolling. And I mean, the the good bits of the American quote-unquote democratic system they got from the First Nations anyway. Like the, the sort of thing that gets closest to direct democracy that's in their systems is stuff they learned from the First Nations <laughs> when they got there. And it's sort of like there's some kind of glorious mixture of direct democracy in an Indigenous framework that's appropriate to the land on which you're on that I think will happen and it will be different in the 20 or 30 places next decade that try them. It'll be different in Australia. It'll be different in Canada, but I think it will happen. Um, and, I, and and that's exciting. We just got to um, not die. Okay. Before <laughs> we get into the then, book, I just need right? to know if I'm okay to not get nuked here. Cause I'm pretty close to all the like American nukes. Mm, that's a bit oh, risky. Yeah. Then. Yeah. We're, it's, we're really <laughs> close to like Mont. Um, oh, what's that one? In Montana's Dakota. just got is, yeah, Montana is a, Dakota. I think it's like, uh, like a lot of nukes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to look at that. There are cities in the U.S. I wouldn't live in, like San Diego. I told Greg this, actually. Anywhere that has, like, big naval and military bases, like, it's obvious that they're targets, right? Um, and so there are places that I wouldn't live. But if you live somewhere valuable, and you did say you guys have a lot of hydrocarbons up there, Darren, Right. So they might try and not bomb an area that would be valuable <laughs> from an asset perspective. But this is kind of one of those games that can like quickly tip into like getting unnecessarily scared or or impacting your kind of like even scenario planning. Oh, I'm ready um, to go but, into uh, the bush at a moment's notice and just melt <laughs> into the fucking mountains. Nice, nice. I've I've spent the last couple of years preparing for just that for like being able to hang out here if I need to and being able to just like board up the windows and pretend I'm dead for six months or just if my truck and shit still works, just like we're fucking out of here. We're taking the fucking trailer and the camper and that and the guns and we're fucking out of here. See, plan for the worst, hope for the best. It's always the way, right? And I'll just pick Graham up kicking and screaming on the way. He'll just be in his uh, pajamas. He'll be like, what's going on? What do you, what's going on? I'll be like, get in the truck, motherfucker. We're out of here. 
<laughs> yeah, because you want to vanish into the woods, but you still want to do the show. <laughs> well, I feel responsible for him too, in, in a way. I could use his, I could oh, use yeah, his calves around there, packing meat and stuff like that. <laughs> I've been training him. I've been training him to be a meat packer. Nice. There's got to be a nice. better way to say that. So yeah, leave it as is. Yeah, um, Graham the meat packer Dunlop. He's on his own time zone too, because I didn't think the show was for two hours, and he thought it was an hour, and you thought it was right away. So. I'm on the GBD. Yeah, so, I told him I'm on the GBD, the Graham Barkley Daylight Time. Look, I think it's so Quintana Roo, which is the state that has Playa in it is an hour different to the Yucatan, which is where I am now, for, like, literally no reason. they just, like, gone their own way. And I've had um, energy healing clients, and that's fucked my my calendar up as well. So I think that's what it was. I think Graham booked correctly for what is, like, 5 p.m. in Quintana Roo, but I'm in Meredith now, so. Yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 Oh, maybe that's what it was, yeah. Anyways, I I thought it was the same in Meredith, but... But I mean, Darren, this does have to do with Derek Gordon's book. I mean, it is kind of this all overlaps. I mean, that's what I, I loved about your book. I mean, it's a new way to look at the environment and to look at activism and to look at all this stuff. Yeah, that was my, that was definitely my hope, right? Um, so it's sort of, what does everything look like if you look at it from the perspective that the cosmos is actually alive? Um, because people think they do that, uh, but like each chapter goes through like, well, actually that has implications for how you understand place. That has implications for how you understand time and, and how you relate to things like plants, because we, you know, it's all well and good to nod along and say, yes, yes, a plant is a being, a plant is a person. And to sort of think that, um, but in the doing, in, in living in a world or a cosmos where that is true, it's sort of really different. So I, I'm, I love it. It's my, I mean, I'm quite proud of it. I think it's, it's the best book I've written and, and it, it has that kind of, uh, it seems to suit this apocalypse because one really good way, I think, of seeing the end of the West and the end of empires and the rise of what comes next is a return of everything non-human. Right. So the story of European empires and scientific materialism is a story of like taking life out of everything in the cosmos, initially excluding humans. But in the last, say, 30 years of, you know, the new atheists and and all the rest of it, they even took life away from humans so that we just live in it's just chemicals or it's just like this meaningless agglomeration of matter, which also doesn't exist, right? It's the stupidest. Terence McKenna, again, said that basically it's the limit case for credulity, this idea that the universe um, began at a single point for no reason and then just expanded out is the limit case for credulity, which is to say if you can believe that, you can literally believe anything because the actual like scientific materialist worldview is stupid from the word go uh and and most people live it's this sort of a dissonance right i believe that people experience on a day-to-day basis the cosmos is alive it's just that they're taught as children and through university that it isn't and and also the bit that i find even worse is that how we how we 
use language forces life out of our experiences. The way we the way we talk about our own dreams, um, the, like or to just the imagination, and, and no one's ever done that before, right? So that's what that's what animistic is, right? It's it's sort of my the things I've learned over like in in the jungle and in the desert and all these different places around the world uh, about how I kind of looked at how other life ways operate and and allowed them as best I can to shed light on on the shortcomings of our life ways and uh and yeah I'm happy with it I'm glad you liked it yeah oh yeah I really did I mean I I started reading it and I thought man Charles Ford would seem to would seem to agree with this kind of thing I wonder mm-hmm. what he would think and then the next couple pages you started you know, quoting Charles Ford and it's like wow because he kind of thought everything was in flux everything was in a different state and it would just move from one to the other and depending on the era that you live would sort of uh, I think would sort of um, uh, uh sort of be the paradigm you're stuck in because the, you know, yeah. the people, the, the exclusionists always leave out the certain amount of data to keep their sort of paradigm going. And I really exactly. felt like you, 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 uh, you brought him into the, the picture. Well, with the book, I, th- this book is his fault because Charles is um, dominant model. Right. So it's different to um, Thomas Kuhn's structure of scientific revolutions where we get the, uh, and that was Cold War propaganda, actually. Like, it, it sort of existed to demonstrate the superiority of, like, capitalist modernity over communism when it came out. But Kuhn had this kind of dumb idea that um, it's almost like expanding spotlights where we learn this much and then we learn a little bit more. And as we kind of learn enough to kind of update our hypotheses about what's going on, then we get this sort of, like, paradigm shift right but this is ever expanding light of scientific understanding and that's crap like we've we've sort of reached the end of um science is self-delusion that it has the capacity because it can know a few things to know everything and and charles was better charles got there 40 years beforehand 30 years beforehand 40 and said that actually things are literally true differently in different eras and so it's a metaphysical model it's um it's like not even it's not just predicted postmodernism it's better than postmodernism that's what i wanted to ask you about i wanted to ask you <laughs> if you can discern if you can help us discern the difference between the the fort's version of truth that i seem to resonate with and i seem to think is more uh sort of less dogmatic and more open and, and the postmodern sort of lack of an objective truth, which is sort of doing more destruction, I think, in our in our world today. Yeah, it is. I like some bits of postmodernism, but so what post, like the the sort of core claim of, say, postmodern history making, so let's just stick with Foucault mostly, is that um, power um, organizes the story of reality. So there's actually kind of like nothing true except what power wants to be true. Now, the thing is, that's not a bad read on propaganda. Like, that's actually a really good idea for an historian to take on board and then look back through um, history. And it's kind of like you can weave... It's almost like you, he's telling the story of propaganda and mistaking that for reality, right? Because um, it basically has one 
core truth claim, which is that the only thing that is true is whatever power needs to tell itself to keep in power. So that's the one true thing in the universe. And that's kind of grim and disappointing. And it's not that it isn't the case. Like we, we've just been through several years of a, a very good example of power producing truth, right? Like, cause it's just not correct, like masks and all the rest of it, you know, it's just not right. Um, but it's, it's, it's forced into a true form. So what Charles Foote was actually saying is that like the universe develops and, and so things are actually differently true based on what is and isn't excluded. So at the time, let's say we, the move from religion, so the dominant of um, religion to the dominant of science, happened, and I have kind of bits of this in, in chaos protocols as well, happened because um, the, the sort of version of Christianity that was just before the arrival of the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution had a sort of six-day creation event. There's no geology. The world is only whatever it was, 4,000 years old, I can't remember. Uh, and that, that was just, things were true by diktat. Like it was the dominant of faith, right? Uh, and you just say things are true and they are. And the trouble was, in order to do that, you would exclude stuff. You'd throw things over the wall. You'd throw dinosaur bones over the wall. Um, you'd throw, like, um, you'd sort of look at the, the cliff, the beginnings of geology and go, there's something about that that looks like layers have been put over time, right? And so you'd just throw all of that over the cliff, but it, over the wall, right? Like it's a walled garden. But eventually enough things, you come back over the wall that you can't squish if you're the church, and and that dominant collapses. And then the dominant that arrives afterwards is, of course, the dominant of science. That's like the dominant of not just reason, but like reasoning things to be true sequentially. And we see, and he was like at the, at the height of science and materialism's power at the beginning of the 20th century. Fort was calling its end. When there were like, at the end of the 19th century in London, there are stories of people who were told by their fathers to go and study law instead of physics because most of it had already been worked out. Like they, they thought physics was going to end in a few decades. Like they're like, oh no, we've, why would we waste that? You're learning at half a career. We've basically got it all sorted. Uh, go and do law instead. And this is, and his thought, the rest of the culture is like science and materialism and electric lights and everything. We're just off on this glorious scientific future forever. And there he is in the library in like New York going, this, this all comes down soon. Um, and he worked that out because the version of things that are coming over the wall for science is UFOs and ghosts and like big blocks of ice falling in Mumbai and all the stuff that he catalogued, all those strange things, right? Because they are the weird stuff that isn't allowed to be true in a predictable scientific model. And they were everywhere and coming over the wall. And so he called the, the incoming dominant the dominant of wider inclusions. And it's interesting to me, I think the COVID story is the end of that dominant completely because, and this is coming back to what I think is good about someone like Michel Foucault, because I actually quite like him as a historian. I just don't think he's, he was a good metaphysician, right? Like I thought it was better. Um, the imperial project and how we organize society and power in the last couple of hundred years has been biotyrannical. So we've, we've lived under biopolitics. Like he, um, Foucault is very good at um, cataloging the, the movement out of the medieval period where the king didn't give a shit about the disgusting commoners outside his castle. As long as the taxes came in, 
didn't care. Um, he might want to fuck them, but other than that, like, no interest. But the, the, the modern world started to do demography and started to do surveys and had to understand what they were like and then started to intervene from a health perspective. And this was all about the, the state assuming uh, its reason for being is to keep humans alive. A king didn't care about that. The peasants could live or die. Like, that's not... That wasn't how power was organized before. And we reached not just the um, the apogee of that with the COVID moment, but we reached its end because the majority of people in the West now know, and they, they might not be able to articulate it as well as we can, but they know that what we just went through was some bullshit and the things we were told didn't work. Um, and, and that means that, that those core claims to power um, for and, and reason for governance failed, right? So all that stuff that came over the wall to bring it down. So we're at a moment where politics has failed, economics has failed, medicine has failed, and it's failed because of all these things having come over the wall. So I think thought was better. And, and we need to look at that as an opportunistic, or as an opportunity rather, with the, the, the walls coming down of, the, of this dominant are being replaced. And, and, and the dominant of wider inclusions or the dominant of witchcraft will also be replaced. Like more stuff will come over it. But like for me, animistic is like my attempt to catalog what the world might look like <laughs> in this new dominant, because it's not so much a rejection of like technology or um, scientific precision, but it's the end of its its claim to organize reality. And, uh, and that's why I think Ford is like a genius. I think he was one of the cleverest people in the 20th century for sure. Oh, check out the completed works of Charles Ford on audio, adultbrain.ca. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, that's, it was just, it's fascinating because it really, there is such a difference in the in the way that we look at truths and um, and the other part that's fallen apart as well, which you mentioned in your book, which I really wanted to get your take on as well as the environmental, the environmentalism part or the sort of the end of the post environmentalism or the post activism yeah. in a way, because that that whole thing is kind of falling apart as well. I mean, once people open up, realize that all these other things aren't working, I mean, are they just going to glom on to, you know, us being completely separate to the environment and we need to control exactly. it. And I mean, I love how you, how you, how you distinguish that, you know, we're not separate from the environment. And, and I've always had a problem with, with thinking of back to like, the way the way they look at the us and the environment right now, I've thought back. I mean, when would we as humans, ancient humans or whatever, been okay with the environment? I mean, we've way, way back, the ancients have logged and fished and mined and quarried and hunted. And we've always been destroying the environment in their terms. What would what when would we I try to go back to our our roots and say, when would we have worked with the environment in their eyes? And it's like there's yeah. it would it, ne it would never would have been there. But some of the examples it's in your what, book with people, what we call, like, yeah, it's crazy, right? Like um, I I joke, and I actually had on my own show earlier this week, um, James Bridle wrote an excellent book called Ways of Being, and there's some stuff about. I, so I bristle at, at at climate change now because I don't believe climate is real, and I was joking to him that I'm literally a climate denier <laughs> in the sense that I deny climate. I don't mean that like. Humans aren't having, like, human use of hydrocarbons isn't impacting things. What I mean is climate 
comes out of this scientific worldview and the idea that you can discern something useful. Like, think of the planet. The, the top and the bottom bits of it are frozen and the bits in the middle are about as hot as human blood, a little bit cooler. And so you, what, are you going to take an average temperature of this whole thing and learn something? Like, that's the stupidest, most 19th century idea. And, and I, I learned all this from... Uh, well, from anthropologists like Dr. or Professor Tim Ingold at the University of Aberdeen, who spent decades with, you know, um, the Sami and, and, and Northern European kind of indigenous peoples. And he's saying they don't have an environment. They don't have climate because how they organize and experience reality is place-based. And this I've, has really haunted me until I found the work of Dr. Bayo Komalafe, and he's, he sort of coined this idea of post-activism. And it's based on this question that he poses, what if the way we respond to the crisis is part of the crisis? And I can't think of anything that sums up my profound disappointment with so-called environmentalism more than that. Because in the, the damage that we inflict upon the more-than-human world by being out of relation to it um, is caused by centralization and techno-solutionism. And so it appe- environmentalism appears to want to do more of that to somehow fix it, right? So, like, and that's clearly the the narrative that the kind of World Economic Forum class wants. Like, all the, the, the digital infrastructure you put in place to fight an apparent virus is about to be used because of these shortages and so on to make sure that you can only travel domestically on a plane once every eight years and, and all the rest of it because we've got the passport and whatever system in place. So that further centralization, that further pulling us away from life that caused all these problems in the first place, they're going to do more of it. And that's the what if the way we respond to the crisis is part of the crisis. It doesn't mean drill, baby, drill. It doesn't mean that everything's great. Things aren't great. But probably the, the, the way of thinking that got us into this mess is not the way of thinking we should use to try and get out of it. And that's kind of, yeah, where I am. with. And it's funny because like I, I'm no longer president of Permaculture Tasmania because I had too much other stuff to do, right? But I'm writing this book about going like, I, I deny climate and I don't think the environment is real. Welcome to Permaculture Tasmania. <laughs> but I, I only mentioned that to kind of point out that I do the best I can to to walk that walk. So I am not just sitting there going like, it's it's not a Trump position, like climate change was invented by the Chinese to keep American business down or whatever it was. Like I'm not, it's yeah, not yeah. that. Yeah. And there's some <laughs> great examples in your book about how, you know, how it just always changes in the difference between us, like let's say uh, preserving a place, which is really destroying it in some ways. I mean, you can look at it differently, like blocking something or, or uh, restoring is not necessarily what it what it's all cracked up to be and i mean look at what happened in the amazon jungle as well you talk about that and then also maybe you could touch on that story in your book about the indigenous person i think it was australia i can't remember the names of it but the uh the mound and the dwelling and like how to how to i don't know what the word to use would be restore or um incorporate oh, you dwelling mean, or- Lloyds. yeah 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 um so <sighs> environmentalism is the idea that we can turn the world into a 19th century zoo, right? <laughs> so we, we seem to want to, to freeze the world in aspic at the year 1850 so that every plant and every animal, where it was on, let's say, April 12th, 1850, when it was first described as in given a name by a European, an organism that already had a name, because wherever you are in the world, 
someone's fucking named it. But um, wherever those things were is where they're supposed to be. And if they move, something's wrong. And that's kind of invasion biology. And the whole thing, like um, the World Wilderness Foundation um, emerged out of early 20th century eugenics. So it's it's the same billionaire class. It's that same like Rockefeller class that was trying to make sure that poor people and black people wouldn't breed was also like to reduce the human population. The same part of that was this kind of fantasy idea of like we need to move people. They're, they're, they're messing up the wilderness. We need to like kill them basically for the pandas or some shit. I don't know. But like it's it's the same idea. It's the same racial bloodline idea that certain organisms belong in other places. It, like so, you know, white people belong somewhere and there's this sort of implicit idea that if people who are non-white show up, it's like invasion biology. So some plants and organisms aren't supposed to be anywhere. And it is literally as simple as that. That is literally where this idea of invasive species and so on comes from. Now, if you look at how indigenous uh, lifeways encounter novel species, it's the opposite of that. So um, Dr. Wolf Dieter Stoller, I've had on the show, and he's, he's very old now, but um, he was an anthropologist and had been one for years, and he was with, I forget, Lakota, maybe? He was with, like, a Lakota medicine man doing, like, a, a herb work, and this medicine man was teaching about different plants. And uh, Wolf pointed at something that was an introduced species, and they say, oh, you know, like this is messing this place up. And the medicine man's like, believe that. This is a new nation to us, and we don't know what its business is, and we don't know what business we're going to do together. And notice the difference, right? Because the, the medicine man actually allowed for this introduced plant species to have agency. So it treated it as a person, as another being, rather than like biological hazardous material that should be removed like Jews, right? And that's literally the same thinking. Now, we still have that invasion biology thinking. We don't have that indigenous thinking of going, okay, what's going on here? And there's a whole bunch of research. Some, um, Fred Pierce wrote a book called The New Wild about 10 years ago, a bit more now, which basically looks at um, novel species rather than introduced species. And we're sort of worried about... Uh, lack of biodiversity, but at the same time, we're removing species that are apparently thriving somewhere new and not actually having as bad an impact as people seem to think, right? So um, the, the places that are most studied for this are, of course, the United States. Uh, and, and there are places like Florida and Hawaii that are very well studied when it comes to so-called introduced species. And the immediate assumption is they're going to run roughshod and, and kill all the indigenous species that are there. But that's just not what happens. Like the overall biodiversity goes up. And in the case of Hawaii, it's something like they lost four or five bird species but gained 80. And, yes, it's sad to lose um, five species, but, like, the overall bird diversity increased as a result of this. And if we actually just adjust our thinking as we face these ecological challenges around the world. There are things we can learn from other life ways that are probably, and when I say probably, I know this is the case, are better <laughs> at addressing the, the, the challenges we face. And that just is kind of the book writ large, right? Like, like well, are there people around the world who are doing this better than us? And in pretty much every category, <laughs> the answer to that is yes. So how do we listen to the land? How do we know what to do? Like how how does your how do you explain what what that guy did to rebuild his his uh, his mouth? His, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So that's a good one. Because that kind of gets into into your maybe your psychedelic experiences too, maybe. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and like, because obviously at RuneSuit in the members area, we have courses like custodianship and magical geography where you actually can learn the techniques of engaging with country. Because if you don't know them, I want to say you have... You do have to learn them, but it's more like you have to learn to trust that you actually already know how to do this because that's what it is in pretty much every case. It's we convince ourselves that we are not engaging with plants and we are not engaging with country, but actually we are. And there are, if you go to like Stephen Harrod Buner, who's an amazing herbalist and, and herbalism teacher, does this thing in, in classes where he'll give unfamiliar plants to people and say, so just sit there with this plant. And, and, you know, and kind of like just quiet your mind, just take a few deep breaths, just drop in and just let me know what comes to you. Just tell me about this plant. Like, is it happy? Is it sad? What does it feel like? And, and two thirds of the time they will list and, and, and sort of explain traditional herbal associations like, well, this is a happy plant. Like it feels like it's, you know, it'll, it'll be used as, a, as, as something to like treat depression and so on. But two thirds of the time people will get the information correct as in matching to traditional herbalism for a plant they've never encountered before. And that is about the ratio for all of this. People convince themselves they're not doing it when actually they are. You walk into a house and you go, this feels weird. And then it turns out, oh yeah, multiple murder 10 years ago. Like we know how to do this and we convince ourselves that we can't or that it's not real. And outside of that, um, of this kind of like Western framework, that's not the case. No, they, no one else has been stupid enough to think that this natural capacity of humans is, uh, is somehow fake. And in the case of my friend Matafera Lloyd, who's um, New Zealander, he's Maori, that's what he did when he got back to um, a place called Petu Araki, which is his, in the sort of like the southeast of the North Island. Um, he, he worked in Auckland for years. And in fact, we ran into each other when I was living in New Zealand in media. And uh, he came back, he came back to his ancestral land and at the top of the hill, um, looking out over the sort of sacred Mangatu River. And in the, the Maori word for like a fortified hill town is pa, like P-A. Uh, and so there was, there's the ruins um, just down from his kind of like meeting house. So they live on the top of the hill and just sort of like down here is the, uh, what we would call the ruins, it's the wrong words for it, of uh, like a 19th century family parasite. And you can kind of see uh, in and amongst the weeds and, and the grass, these mounds. And he sat there, he sat out, it's beautiful, I've been there, like just on this hill, like it's a wonderful place just to sit. For six months he sat out there looking down at it, just like being with his ancestors, finding out if it was the right thing to do. The the words I use for it, because restore is not the right word, is to bring it back into the world of the living. Because to restore implies that it's a ruin, and a ruin implies that it doesn't have any use or that it's not occupied. But what, what actually has happened to sites like that is they kind of pass into the dead. Um, so And it, the, the spirits were on full show when like I, I slept in the, um, in the past site when I was there, spirits everywhere. Right. So the right way of thinking about it is like, is it the right thing to do to bring this back to the world of the living? Because, uh, Maori, like the, the Maori world has a lot of, um, this is where we get the word taboo from taboo, uh, has a lot of, and rightly so taboos around disturbing places that belong to the dead. 
uh, and a bunch of other taboos. Like everyone else has rules for living in, in a living cosmos correctly, and we just decided the cosmos wasn't alive and just went on our merry way, and look what happened. Um, and so that's what he did. And what happened was this method of thinking. So he'd be there working on it himself, and he worked in IT. So he's not a construction guy at all. And, and so he'd be, like, clearing stuff, and he'd be there working on the side of the hill, and a thought would come to him. Oh, like, do it this way. And, and a really good example of that is he was restoring um, one of the Fari's, um, so like the sleeping houses, like house, let's just say. And they still come to him to, to dig this square pit that can kind of seat a human up to about chest height and like build this mesh wooden thing to put over it and put hot rocks in it and use a couple of plants and basically make like a steam bath. And he's like, that's weird. Um, that's not a thing we know. That's not like part of our historic culture. But the plants in, in question were part of Maori culture. It's like the whole point that Matafaro wanted to convey with this project was that it's not a rebuild or a recreation because this is forward looking, right? So this is Maori culture now moving forward as part of it. That being said, when one of his cousins came to visit and view the progress, and this guy's like a professional Maori historian, he pointed to the, the square hole with basically the steampunk and said, oh, you built a, I forget the word for it, oh, you built a blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he didn't know that they actually did have them as like an historic technology. But it came to him as he moved forward with the site and while we're working on it. And so there's something about the doing and, and being on land that is an improved mode of thinking and bringing this novel information because he got it completely correct and he didn't even think they they had them so it's it was the most amazing one of about a dozen times that that happened over the course of it's like thinking while doing is sort of one way of saying it but it's also this place is alive and these beings are alive and, and he has a way of thinking that allows for that livingness to, to influence him. And it was actually when I was at that site that I, I realized I need to write this book. Like he was, he's not just someone who I find extremely impressive. And he, it's been a, a light in Maori. So there are tribes who come from all over New Zealand to look at it and they film like, uh, you know, TV stuff there because it really does fucking look the piece, right? It really does fucking look like traditional, uh, in, in certain angles, uh, like a traditional parasite. But it's not just that. Different iwi members, so different tribes, will come and look at it and go, well, we have parasites as well. I'm going to go and see. And it's not like I'm going to go off and do this. It's like I'm going to go and sit with my parasite and see if this wants to come back to the living as well. And and so he's actually built a whole language and co-created with his ancestors, a whole language of things that we would call reconstruction or rebuilding, but it's not, it's new. And, and so he's built basically a star temple in the middle of it. And this is not historically accurate. Uh, Maori have, like everyone else, like a really sophisticated astrology, right? So it's a place where the teaching of Maori star law happens. Um, and it's arranged so that it's kind of, it's, it's lunar oriented. Um, and we were there for like uh, various full moon ceremonies, but not just that. 
Uh, because Marcus, Marcus Motifera Lloyd is an Indigenous activist as well, so he's done a lot of work around water in New Zealand, but he's also been to Standing Rock twice, right? So when he was at Standing Rock and he got to meet the various elders there, and as he's going through this power project and Standing Rock is still going on and he's back in New Zealand, he's like, can I light a solidarity fire with you in my power site, right? So here's this, this is a really good kind of going back to what, um, what Darren was saying earlier about like this is indigenous led, but it's more like the world is going to look more indigenous after this. So here's this Maori guy calling up from New Zealand to Standing Rock, where there are the, the seven Standing Rock fires, and he asked to light it one in solidarity. And it turns out that there was like a Lakota, like fire shaman, I don't know, um, in a town called Rotorua, like in the middle of the North Island, who was there at the time. So he got permission. This guy came over and lit the first Standing Rock fire outside of Standing Rock, like a solidarity fire. And it's in this PAR project that's about the reorganization and bold um, claiming of a Maori future, like an indigenous future. And it was like a true privilege to be in ceremony around this like standing rock solidarity fire in a Maori star temple that's come out of like this guy's head and his ancestors. And that's kind of when I realized I had to do this book because there's so much fucking cool shit <laughs> that's going on in the world um, that is so inspiring to, like I just, I can go to sleep knowing that like Fetu Araki exists and it's great. It's that's just, it's great it, to know that there are things like that going on all over the world because it's the most amazing thing. And it shows that there are, there are ways of being that are, I, I mean, it's problematic to say better, but I think the monster would be better than the way we're doing. And that not just that, these are, uh, outward expressing ways of being so that they exist at least in part to inspire and instruct us. So it's not like a closed system, but it's also not appropriation. It's not like I'm going to build a Maori pa because I went to fucking Fetu Ariki, right? But it's more how Matafero thought, like his thinking with land is something I can learn with and have learned with. Like I, I managed to do that all or something like that myself on my own little farm. Yeah. And that's kind of, I hope, the promise of the book. Yeah, and because you look at thoughts as, per, well, you, you don't, not you look at it, but you mentioned how some researchers think of thoughts as persons, right? I mean, that it's, yeah, it's almost a living, a living thing on its own. And that is the case. You could describe it slightly differently, but we are, again, and it's only in the last 300 years that we've been like this, that we thought that we made this claim, this take, that thoughts are um, basically epiphenomena vomited up by the brain and they're trapped inside the skull and they have no relation to reality. And that is, like, coming back to McKenna, that is so fucking stupid. That is the stupidest theory of mind any, any culture has ever come up with, right? Uh, and, and it might look different elsewhere, but... There are some kind of like universals 
There, are uni- there is a universal theory of mind that shows that thoughts, not all thoughts, but um, some of them are important and some of them are beings, right? So, and, and Jung thought this, like when he started doing his active imagination work and he was kind of dropping in and, and, and building the Red Book, he'd jump in there and he'd be encountering Enoch and other biblical patriarchs who were saying, like, do you think you invented us? Do you think we're in your head? You idiot. <laughs> we predate you, and crucially, my good bitch, we will post-date you. And so he actually managed to step into a world where some thoughts are beings, are persons, because they are, right? Like that, that our imaginal is the interface with our ancestors, the interface with gods and angels and, and, and biblical patriarchs and all of it. And everyone else knew that, and we're in a process of... Recovery. Right? They knew that for a long time, right? Like we're talking thousands oh, yeah. of years. I was reading some. I was reading some. Uh, I had some some quotes here from Theophrastus going way back. Like there's stuff like for, for thousands of years they've thought about this world and everything that moves must have life and seeing that all things move, even the earth, especially with a generative and alternative motion, they must themselves live. Like they're saying that okay. heavens live, everything lives. You know, this goes so far back. Yeah, absolutely. I think is the, so the whole kind of reason the book is named the way it is, is because animism is a really, it's a really charged and dangerous term, right? And the reason I picked that and the reason I apply it to myself, and I open the book by saying, I'm only applying it to myself because there's been enough kind of like European namings of non-European things. And then that's where we got animism from. And it's this era right here where Europeans, like early anthropologists, went out into the like the brown corners of their empire and encountered Australian Aborigines, Amazonian shamans, whatever, and thought that these people were so childlike and primitive that they couldn't tell the difference between dreams and reality. And, and it's that... It's like the Skinner meme. It is the children who are wrong. Like, I am haunted by the fact that we were the ones <laughs> who couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't because we thought it was all fake, right? So it's animism is the term we gave to theories of mind that we thought were primitive, and we did that in our primitiveness. So, like, the term is really powerfully emotionally, politically dangerous to charge because it is at the heart of this imperial era, right? And so I wanted to like stay with the trouble of that term rather than when I was working in the book in Sydney at the State Library, I was talking to one of the indigenous curators there and he's like, what are you working on? I said, I'm writing a book about animism. And he's like, why? <laughs> so that was the, the sort of beginning point of me realizing that the introduction needs to explicitly state that I'm not calling any, I don't call Ulla Marcus Matafari Lloyd considers himself an animist. I don't call him that. I don't call any, I don't call any of the shamans I met that. I like I reserve that word for me and me only because there's a lot of people in the magical world in particular that use the term and I get why like I'm actually um, at least partially to blame for its popularity but I wanted people to know that it's it's a politically charged statement to do that it's the, the word is not neutral um, the word is is politically dangerous and it needs to be like I don't want to I don't want people to stop using it I want people to use it knowing its full power to decolonize right like if you use it for yourself what it means is you know this whole crime and 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 you using that term you hope is part of that recovery process yeah what a concept 
What a concept. <laughs> you don't want to just delete the word out of the whole vocabulary? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. So we try that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, before we run out of time here, I don't know if you can tease maybe a couple of my favorite parts of the book was your, of course, your experience with your farm and the water dragons and, and maybe, or your psychedelic experiences, which I don't think I've heard anybody articulate that, that, you know, pulling memories out of your, out of your childhood and or other things. I mean, I feel like, and, you know, so I don't, I don't want you to go down too many deep holes though, but there was really two, two really fun parts of the book was, uh, was those two chapters. Uh, summoning a water dragon to stop a fire. That was amazing. That's still, you know, one of my, uh, one of my best. And I, I like, I didn't do that on my own. Um, there was a hundred of us who did that. Right. Uh, but that was, I've done a lot of magic and a lot of it's worked. And this is a few years ago, there was some historically bad fires in Tasmania. It was basically my first summer after buying the farm. And the farm was purchased as a result of like multiple years of like enchantments and divination and so on. So we definitely landed at the right place. And then it's at risk of burning down. And I'm like, really? Really all that work from fucking London over several years to get here? And now you're going to burn it down. That's annoying. Um, But it was just remarkable like february is the driest month in tasmania and we needed 25 mils or 35 mils to do something for the, like eight percent of the state was on fire at one point it's not a big place like it was crazy and um and we used some lunar mansion elections to basically call up a vedic water dragon uh, and it worked and i like during the during that ritual i actually saw the exact time that it was going the rain was going to arrive on the farm which it did and then it turns out that was the first time the moon was in pisces so it was like the first time that water was kind of astrologically able to do it but it was the eeriest feeling being on the farm as the rain's coming like, pouring down and there are thick clouds because you could feel something in the clouds uh i have never like i've again I've fucked around with a lot of spirits uh, there was it hasn't hasn't been too much like that hasn't been too much like there is something in the you almost wanted to duck it was a strange it's the strangest thing but yeah there's that story's in there um the other thing is during yeah my various psychedelic experiments ongoing made me like I am firm in my conviction that thoughts not only are some kind of beings, but there's something about that roomy idea that nothing lasts, but nothing is lost. And so we have terms for it, like Akashic records and, and so on. But our understanding of time, which is the presentation I gave at, um, at Miguel's conference, was about time and how we've got it wrong. Uh, because our understanding of time is one damn thing after another also emerges from this kind of like imperial materialism. And we never thought that before. And no one else thinks that. So it's probably wrong. Um, and I've, I've had experiences where I've ended up being the sort of feeling or being that I encountered uh, at, at certain stages in, in the past and the future. So there's one point where I was lying in my partner's bed at the age of 22, sensing something come down on his balcony, which I then, during subsequent psychedelic experiences, ch- um, chasing after, like, this is what I'm looking for here. The kind of emotional, sexual stuff that you, you work on when you're doing psychedelics um, took me back to this moment, and I sort of descended down onto this balcony and was looking in at myself and my partner and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> when I was 22 in bed, I was seeing me at the age of like 36, not seeing me, but sensing my descent at this exact same moment. And that's just one of those 
real Star Trek things that you go, God, the universe, we haven't got it right, you know, <laughs> and you get kind of glimpses of it. Ayahuasca is very similar where she can kind of find, when you, when you engage her probably, that she, she can kind of look at your memories as living things. And it's like, I don't know if she goes back in time. It seems weird that the universe would generate a library that's identical to the universe itself, but maybe it does. If not, the past is some kind of achievable place that with the right kind of beings and the right way of thinking, which doesn't actually just have to be psychedelic. Some of my shamanic training allows for you to do it stone cold sober, but the past isn't irretrievable. Um, it, and in the same way, just coming back to the very beginning of the show, the same thing with the future, uh, the future has a bearing on the present and the past has a bearing on the present. And, and they are some kind of real. It's the sort of failure to understand time that makes us think that both of those things are not available to us. But they are in kinds of ways, I guess, is how I'd say it. But the book certainly, I'm, the thing I've been on for the last year and a half has been time. Um, I, I gave a presentation about different astrologies at a conference last this is on the members area um like at a conference in q3 of last year and there's the one that i gave in in playa recently is sort of like the next one along in that but when you step into an animist universe sooner or later you're going to have to reconcile with time in the sense that it's almost like it's the last thing we decolonize uh, and and we should somewhat urgently, especially as we are living through like a really important moment. So like how you understand time and how you come into relation with it is is urgent. Um, it's time sensitive, I guess. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've tried to go back to my childhood with my mom and my sister. Sometimes we try and re- just go back and remember things on it. And I, it's hard. I don't remember a lot. I maybe I need to try some of these alternative ways to, to yeah. get back. Psychedelics will do it. Like um, you, or find a good hypnotist because there there are you kind of change your state of consciousness and all, and it's not even like you remember them it's literally like you are selecting them out of a cosmic library because i think that's actually the problem i think we try to store everything biochemically in like our bodies and it's not a good storage area and it wasn't meant for that i don't think uh, and this kind of comes back to the stuff that Madafer lloyd can do where the knowledge of how you build a par isn't in his head, but it's somewhere in the universe. And it's not like he has to remember it. He has to access it. And that's what it felt like for me. Like it's not the memories I, I had weren't in my head, but they're in the universe. And when you encounter them, they are fully alive. It's weird. It's not like how you can kind of you, sort of remember being yeah, four yeah, or five yeah. years old. Right, fragments it's like the TV. It's, like the TV, it it's like the TV remembrance when you know somebody remembers something on TV and they go right back to that act. Yeah. So, do you think that you, your person at that time, was present in the moment? Like, do you think being present uh, makes these memories? more available or less available i don't even know what present means if i can if i can be caught in this infinite loop where i'm 
the the thing <laughs> landing that remembers the thing that caused me to land. Like, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. Know, like I don't know what. Well, well for example, like point. for example, for example, like you might not have seen your future self if you weren't present. You might have been stuck in your head thinking about something else. Like, I guess I think of it as if I'm in La La Land all day long. Am I going to remember that day or not remember that day? You probably won't, but the universe does. Like this yeah, comes back so, to that nothing lasts, but nothing is lost. Yeah, like it's yeah, all, yeah. it all ends up in the sort of Akashic records. I don't care what you call it. Like, I, but I still would have, maybe know, I, I might still have access to it. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Certain beings like ayahuasca could take you through it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, it's just fascinating. Darren, do you have anything to uh, ask or add or anything? No, I'm excited to read the book. I wish I could listen to it as an audio book, though. <laughs> yeah, I'll get there. Um, I, I, I want to do that and Starships. I just, yeah, that would be great. To, yeah, to that would be great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I just th- I think this is a game changer. I really think just to put this out there really got me thinking about things, you know, like the environment and the activism and just being one with everything and, and really how separate we become. And I mean, it just and it overlaps with the time that we're in right now. I mean, I really... I really, really enjoyed it. One of my Thank favorite you. books. One of my favorite books of all, of all time. Um, I'm, I'm glad. Me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad. I'm glad it resonates because, like, I, um, I'm really proud of it, and yeah. and I worked really hard on it, and I'm glad that I'm glad you liked it because yeah, yeah. When you write oh. a book, you hope at least one person likes the book. Oh yeah, no, no, no. But I mean, this is like, like I said, I, I really think it's a game changer about the way we look at things. You know, where Thank can people get much. the book? Uh, so, uh, scarletimprint.com, obviously it's a Scarlet Imprint book. Um, I am obviously traveling with the paperback and uh, they have the big, beautiful, um, hardcover ones that are easy to get there. I think you can get the paperbacks on Amazon as well. And obviously the Kindle editions, but if you want like the big fancy hardbacks, uh, the best place is scarletimprint.com. Um, they ship from the U S and the UK. So if you're anywhere near either of them, that's like, um, the best, but you can get it on Amazon. It's just, it's. And uh, I like, so the publishers, Peter and Augustus are very close friends of mine. And uh, in the last few years, it's become, and there's nothing they can do about it. It drives Augustus to distraction. Um, postal rates to Australia from, from the UK are really bad, right? And so my the premium members who are based in Australia all kind of like club together, and which is a thing you can do, by the way, and like buy 10 books at once so they can kind of like share the shipping costs. But if you're in the US or Western Europe or whatever, which most of your um, listeners are as well, you won't have that problem. But for Australians and New Zealanders, I promise you (laughs) they're doing the best they can. Um, But the Kindles, you know, don't pay, don't pay shipping on Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Hey, I got one more question before we go. Uh, How did the apples turn out? Really good. They're still alive. Really? Uh, and I was, I'm, I'm glad, right? So for people, for context, I kind of mentioned the culmination of some of the stuff I learned in the book went into the ceremonies I use um, for this apple orchard that we put in a couple of years ago. And we're obviously at the, we're in autumn in Australia now. So they had a really good summer. They put on a lot of growth. And so I was actually quite scared that the book would come out because yeah. I finished it in April of last year. And I'm like, that's like a whole season where I could fuck this up. Uh, <laughs> but they're all still alive. <laughs> so I'm doing really well. They're, they're doing really well. I love them. Um, it's it's the most amazing thing to kind of look out of it's sort of 70 heritage cider apples. It's terrifying. I don't have kids. So, um, 
And I don't think of my apple trees as children, but by the same token, I'm like, if you die, it's my fault. Yeah. It's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird thing to think uh, when there's, there's a whole orchard in front of you. And I'm like, ah, oh, let's not fuck this up. Yeah. But uh, it's been good, and I and I love them, and I run my chickens um, through them, so we're doing that permaculture thing. But they're all still alive. Everything seems reasonably happy. Nice. The trees are doing better than the chickens, you know. Right on. Well, thanks, Gordon. Thank. Have a great uh, rest of your trip in uh, North America. And here's hoping we can uh, get together here soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll stay in touch. We'll see what uh, we'll see what can be arranged. Awesome. And thanks for having me, guys. Like you know, it's I love talking to you both. And uh, right on. It was a good chat. Thanks. Right on, Gordon. Enjoy your time down in Mexico. Will do. Ciao. And that was a chat with Gordon White. What'd you think, buddy? Oh yeah, just I've been looking forward to this for a while. I mean, we only touched the surface of uh, of his book. I mean, really, we didn't even get into, but a lot. Of, he had a lot in there about like ceremony and and um, what's the other word he used for um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of when you're sort of not in charge, custodianship, that kind of stuff. You know, it, it's just I love how he's able to apply all this in his real life as a permaculturist. You know, and yeah. Yeah, it's good. Good good book for the anybody mystical or animal. magical or animistical. Or just want to learn about it. Grab the book, check it out. Check out his other book, Starship. Check out his uh, podcast, Rune Soup. Uh, check out our support page, grabamerica.ca slash support. We're value for value for sure over here. And we can't do this without you. Uh, keep those wheels of support greased up and moving along over at america.ca slash support maybe you could sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation donation and help us keep this show free and value for value and keep going head over to adultbrain.ca for the audiobooks join the chats america.ca slash chats uh, i think that's about it we love you guys thanks for listening and we will see you next week All your secrets to get a good handle on a better way to live How does one get out of bed every day in the throes of the apocalypse? Should I bury my head in the sand? Or sabotage their evil plan? I feel really trapped An ant burned by a magnifying glass It's all a little bit too convenient All the evidence went up in flames Phonies, fraudsters, scammers belong in the slammer My friend best give up their names Should I call on militia man? Or pass out a petition pen? I feel really trapped An ant burned by a magnifying glass I don't know what y'all been told, but I got a soul made out of gold. Sound off, one, two, sound off, three, four, cadence count, one, two, a three, four. Some time ago a crazy dream came to me, I dreamt I was walking into World War Three. as prophetic as humanity. Animals. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now she floats it down the river in dark. As prophetic as deja vu, as wormwood, as falling stars above. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now she floats
dark I can't even hear my own thoughts for the life of me Over the din of a bruised and broken culture The media spins and splatters and spins and clatters And I cringe because it's psychological warfare Don't you feel yourself getting really mad? How did we let it get this bad? Don't you feel really trapped? Like a brain in a vat to close Pandora's box but sirens are singing me off a cliff I'm looking to hitchhike to Shangri-La over yonder Sophia would you give me a lift popped out of the Hegelian rebellion say goodbye to all you Machiavellians let evil destroy itself I'm bound for Shangri-La Shangri-La My dream if I could be in yours As prophetic as morning doves As groundhogs As fallen stars above Sophia wrote it down Built an ark Now we're floating it down A river dark As prophetic as white wolves As butterflies As rainbows Sophia sings now we built a plane, now we're taking flight above a river bright. Shangri-La, la 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 Shangri-La